Welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 35. This is part one of our baseball preview. That's right. Stickball is back. Kind of. Not really. Uh, April 1st is opening day, and uh, we only have two full weeks, I think, including, uh, including next week and the week after. Two full weeks of, of spring training left, uh, and then a couple days in that last week in March, uh, first week in April. And uh, baseball is back. So... It's kind of the beginning of spring, if you will. This, I mean, daylight savings starts this weekend, which I'm really excited about, uh, Willie. Uh, spring is here. Baseball's here. Yeah, it's always it's always a great time, man. I think uh, it's it's definitely one of the uh, fun times of the year for opening Def- day. Yeah, it's one of my favorite times of the year because you have baseball, you have the Masters a little later in April, which we will preview, by the way. So for all you golf fans out there, just wait. We'll we'll get to the Masters at some point, but. This episode and the next episode will be strictly about baseball. Uh, we may have some hot takes here and there, but we're going to try to keep it baseball focused for you know the, the duration of the episode. So as I said earlier, we're going to start. We're going to do part one this week, part two next week. Part one is the National League. And of course, where are we going to start? We're going to start in the wild, wild west because this, this offseason, Willie, was crazy. I mean, this is the most insane I can ever remember an offseason being as far as just two teams trying to outdo each other. I mean, you have, on one hand, you have the defending champion Los Angeles Dodgers, but on the other hand, you have their, their rivals to the south in San Diego, who went out and got Cy Young Award winner Blake Snell, elite starter Yu Darvish, they signed Fernando Tatis Jr. to a big contract, they mean business, and they're not done yet. They're going to keep building, and building, and building, and... It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, we're 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 going to get into this in a little bit, but both of these teams have potential to win a hundred games, and that's how exciting we're we're looking at a team. Yeah, I think it's it's a shame that um, I guess for a lot of MLB fans that you know the the, the teams are in the Western time zone, so maybe they don't get to watch them a ton. But mm. I think this is great for the game. I think right at the top of the list, if you're just a, a casual fan, is just seeing these teams play you know play th- that many games in division this year is going to be great and i think that you know with with the cubs and the cardinals still being good but kind of declining and i think the yankees red sox rivalry has kind of died off a little bit i mean not it, it still is there but the red sox are currently really down i think that you know this could give the rivalry that baseball like badly needs and i think is you know anyone no matter if they're huge in baseball or not, would enjoy watching them play, I guess, 19 games uh, throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, the the Dodgers-Padres games this season are going to be a bigger sell than Dodgers-Giants, which seems weird to say, but... Do you think that, Owen, do you think that... that this could develop into a rivalry, like a true rivalry. Absolutely. Absolutely. If if they go back and forth for the next few years, they'll be people will be looking at this at, as a genuine rivalry because we're talking about the Dodgers these days, and this is pretty much since I want to say 2017, maybe maybe since even before that, since Dave Roberts took over as manager. Really, since then, we've been talking about them as one of the the, the franchises that has a real chance at creating a, a true dynasty. You know, you're talking Yankees in the 90s, Yankees in the 20s. Um, I mean, really, along the lines of the Yankees, um, the Big Red Machine back in the days, the Oakland A's with the three P in the 70s. You know, we're talking we're talking dynasty here. Yeah. At the same time, you have this we'll call them upstart bunch of young players, um, veterans 
who are coming good. I think they signed. We talked about Mark Melanson, didn't we? He signed with San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. He did. He did. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just a mixed bag because you have a team with so much potential in the Dodgers, but then you also have the Padres who are here way ahead of schedule. I think, I mean, I, I don't think anyone was expecting them to be as good as they were last season. And yes, it was a short season with an expanded playoff format. So it really kind of throws off your whole perception of who's a playoff team. Who's not a playoff team, but they're here to stay. I, they don't just trade for Blake Snell and you Darvish because they're trying to win a wild card game. They're, they're trying to win the whole thing. And I would not be surprised if between now and the start of the season, they go out and do, I don't know, make, make one, one or two more moves. They, they may not be huge moves. I think we're, we're done seeing all of the, you know, the blockbuster trades, the massive free agent signings. But if they, if they go out and sign one, one more reliever, I know you don't like relievers, Willie, but they're, they're really important. They're pitchers too. Uh, and, and a, and a platoon player to, uh, to spell guys like Tatis. We're we're looking at we're looking at a potentially dominant team in the National League in the same division as the defending champions, and I don't think you can get much better than that. Yeah, absolutely. I think though that um, you know, like you said, on I mean, this team is going to be incredible. I mean, they're they do need to bolster their bullpen, um, but first of all, I mean, you've got one of potentially the best starting pitching staff we've ever seen. You know, you have all the guys from last year, and you also have Mackenzie Gore, who's a really, really good young player, and I think is going to be potentially, I mean, maybe we would talk about him, but I think he's one of the best young players to watch. But for me, the biggest question, and I think that where baseball has kind of been headed, and my biggest concern for them, believe it or not, is just I think uh, they could use another, a little more pop, a little more depth in the lineup. I think Mm. that. They have, look, they have a really good team, a really good lineup. But I just think when you look at the recent, you know, best teams from the Nationals to the Red Sox to the Dodgers, and you look at, and, you know, the ability to kind of wear really good pitching staffs down and in the postseason when the game slows down and you've got all these different pitchers. To me, I'm looking at Atlanta and I'm looking at the Dodgers, and they have, you know, such good deep lineups and for me you know the Padres you know do but to me even more important than the bullpen actually that's where I'm I'm kind of looking at and also you know that's going to rent here but I'm curious about the production they're going to get from some of their more role players mm. you know Will Myers has a lot of talent you know but is he is he going to produce you know Trent Grisham um you know is Jake Cronenworth going to continue in a full season with the form we saw you know, so I, I think that to really compete with the Dodgers in Atlanta, all of their role players on offense are going to have to play very well. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty pretty spot on point. We talk about the the star power in San Diego with Hosmer and Machado and Tatis, and then the, in the uh, starting rotation with uh, with Darvish and Snell and Lamette, who had a great season, but you know, obviously he's he's only shown a little bit. He only has um, he's only has a few starts under his belt as as a big leaguer. So he was, he was, he was really good. And then he hurt his elbow. Last mm-hmm. um, when, when he was good, he was really good. And that was, I think that was, I think the, the reminder to the world that, you know, I think they're a little bit ahead of schedule. And if you're a Padres fan, you're, you're really excited. Um, I'll put it that way. You know, absolutely. I've talked about this before. I think, especially when, when the, um, when the Darvish and Snell trades happened, that there was a potential for this to kind of be a, 
2011 Boston Red Sox scenario, not in the sense that they they choked on the last day of the season, but that they are. Yeah, like that they were one of the best teams in baseball from May or no, they were by far the best team in baseball from May until uh, the end of August. And then April and September were were some of the worst Red Sox teams. I mean, they played some of the worst baseball you can possibly play, but just because they had so many new players at once, they had Crawford and Adrian Gonzalez at the same time. And and they they were abysmal for two of those months. That's right. So, yeah. Can that happen with the Padres? I mean, sure, because you're playoffs or no? No, they missed the playoffs on the last day. Oh, okay. They within hours of each other, both the Braves and the Red Sox uh, lost and choked their way out of the playoffs. Well, that's right. No, that that's they they missed the playoffs and uh, mm-hmm. they lost to Baltimore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's and uh, yeah, and Longoria had that walk off home run against New York. Yeah, that that was classic. That was a great. Yeah, the infamous walk off home run. Yeah, that was. For sure, we'll remember that. Raise, yep. uh, but back to back to the point with with the Padres. I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. It's well founded optimism, yeah. and we'll talk about this when when we get into kind of you know how do we see this season playing out for the West. I mean, obviously, we have no idea how it's going to play out. None of us do. I mean, the Padres could finish. They could finish first. Or they could finish last. I mean, not to be like a, a pragmatist, but that's that's the reality of baseball. I mean, sometimes you. Things happen you just don't expect. I mean, who had on their 2020 bingo card? Who had the Miami Marlins being a postseason team? Like what? How did the the Marlins, the Miami Marlins, made the made the postseason? But that's because 2020 was a weird year, 60 game format, expanded playoffs. Weird things can happen. But now this season, we're back to a 162 game season. It's not quite you know quote unquote normal again because we have uh, we do have seven inning double headers this year which we had last year just because it was such a short season. Uh, but there's no universal DH. And I think that goes into one of the points I want to make a little later in the show when we talk about a certain team in the National League East. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think we'd be remiss, honestly, if I know it's a, you know, people maybe beat it to that. But I think we'd, it'd be really remiss in baseball if we didn't mention the importance of the fact that it was a short season. Yeah, and we—I honestly don't really know what to make of any individual player statistics. You know, obviously we know how it goes, right? You can get hot for a month or two, and then struggle the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I—I I think that for sure the Padres are a team that um, I'm not sure quite what to make of them in that sense. In the sense that, like on paper, they're great. But there's a lot of teams in the National League that are kind of a little bit below, but that are really good. You know, you got Milwaukee, I think, you know, Chicago, obviously now all the teams in the NL East that if the Padres aren't up to it, could totally overtake them. So mm-hmm. I mean, we've got to see it for a whole season. Exactly. And and that's the cautionary tale, I guess, is is the whole, you know, for 60 games, teams you wouldn't expect to make the playoffs made the playoffs. And then teams you expected to make it missed out horribly. And that's one of the beautiful things about the sport is that there's so little true parody. Uh, or sorry, there, there's there's so much parody. Um, because any any team from any division within reason has a shot at being a playoff team. Um, obviously, it, it gets down to it because you weed out a few teams. But realistically when you have that you have as many teams as you did last year who made the playoffs all of them showed flashes of being top teams all of them did 
you know, the Marlins may be the least, but we'll, you know, we'll talk about the Marlins a little later. And, Speak- and I think, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just want to say too, I, I think that there's a lot to be um, with the Padres too. I just think that there's a lot of um, question marks also in terms of, you know, I mentioned the importance of their role players and, you know, we can talk about Hosmer, but just, you know, can they stay healthy, right? I mean, Blake Snell mm. had so many injury issues. Um, you know, Chris Paddock was awful last year. We talked about Lamette was hurt. You know, they're not going to have Clevenger. Uh, and so, you know, it, I, I, I think the Blake Snell thing is a really big deal. He hasn't shown that he can pitch a full season in a long time. And to me, Blake Snell, with what he's showing, is, is the difference between them contending and not. So I, I need to see him prove that he can be healthy. Yeah. And the interesting thing with Blake Snell is that obviously with Tampa Bay, and we saw this in game six of the World Series in 2020, uh, that team, that organization is very much run by numbers and analytics. I mean, they have to play Moneyball because they don't have the money to go out and spend $150 million over seven years on like an Eric Hosmer, for example. And so it, it comes down to Blake Snell being handled as less of a a number as a figure in a numbers-based organization and more of a baseball player. So that's going to come down to Jace Tingler's feel as a manager. Can we just talk about that name for a second? Jace Tingler's Jace Tingler's feel as a manager. What a, what a sentence, but (laughs) no, realistically though, the, the feel with Snell is going to be more important than ever. But I think when you go to a team that has so much potential and showed flashes of that, and you have one of the most exciting players in the game, surrounded by veterans who've who've you know been there, done that in Hosmer and Machado. I, I think you have a really really exciting. You're you're motivated to to get better every day. I mean that that kind of thing is infectious, regardless of what sport you play, regardless of what team it is. If you're surrounded by really good players, really experienced players, it it just you just feed off of that. Yeah, and I and think, es- yeah, especially for someone as young as Tatis. Yeah. Sure, I think that that's what the the Padres have done in I think bringing in guys like that is just to improve the the locker room to improve to make a winning culture. And I think that we could talk a lot about this. I think it'd be really interesting. But you know, this is this group of Padres is different than the previous group of guys that AJ you know AJ Preller has went for it in the past, and that those teams haven't worked. And now it seems like they have a culture of winning, you know? And so I think that's one of the most important things. This mm-hmm. team is different, but it's a whole nother beast to get over the hump. For exactly. Sure. Exactly. And it'll be fascinating to watch the first 20 games for them this season, because we'll get a, we won't get a feel for how good they really are until, you know, towards the all-star break and maybe even after the all-star break. But you look at a team that's already had a taste of the postseason. They've already had a taste of, you know, they, yes, they got swept by the Dodgers, but they they made that series much more competitive than I think a lot of people were anticipating. And that's the sign. That's the sign of a team that's about to break through. I mean, the the breakthrough will come when they when they actually win a postseason series. Yeah. Um, that's not like a, you know, like a, a modified, what, three game series against uh, against St. Louis. Right. But. When in the normal format they're able to win a best of five or best of seven, that'll kind of tell us that no, they're they're here and they're they're staying. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, but as we know, I mean, the playoffs are brutal, right? It's, there's mm. no guarantee that once you get to the playoffs, you're going to do well, particularly in the first like five game series, you know? Mm-hmm. But, exactly. Uh, I should, I should ask you on, I think, um, and I mean, people maybe aren't going to talk about this and rightfully so, but I still think that, um, San Francisco and Arizona are pretty good. You know, Colorado's going to be awful. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, do you think that there's a possibility that if the Padres stumble, many one of them can make a run at the wild card. I think both of them are actually sneaky, pretty good. Well, so as far as as far as a wild card, I think that might be a bit of a stretch. What I would say though is that if the Padres do slip up, they have a chance to be the number two team in that division. Okay, but sure. I don't. I don't think. You know. If the Padres play to what we believe their potential is, and I think a lot of people around baseball, I think they have a a pretty, pretty solid potential this year to win a lot of baseball games. It, it comes down to can the Giants or can the Diamondbacks really put together something that's going to be on the level of you know somewhere close to the Dodgers, because that's I think that's where a lot of people are anticipating the Padres are going to be, and just for the fact that. I don't think there's any other team uh, in that division that has the potential to come close outside of San Diego. So what I'm getting at is basically they may be the second best team. Uh, if, if the Padres slip up and say the Giants or the, uh, the Diamondbacks become the second best team in that division, there's no guarantee that they're going to have a better record than St. Louis, Chicago, Milwaukee, Atlanta, New York, uh, the Mets, uh, or even hell, even the Nationals. So... Uh, we haven't in the Phillies too. So there's there's a lot of you know I, I I would say that it's a stretch if if the Padres do stumble that it, the wild does the one the one if the Padres stumble then the odds of one of the two um, wild cards coming out of the West are a lot lower if it's not the Padres. I, I just want to mention though on that no it's it's true look the odds are low the odds are very low of an actual wild card team coming out. But I think it's important to point out, I mean, both teams are really talented. I like a lot of their players, but I think it's important to point out the, first of all, I think that this wild card race could get really, and the NL could be really exciting and really diluted because you got to remember actually in, so in 2019, okay, the uh, Nationals, I looked this up earlier, they won 93 games. Right, and they were the wild card Atlanta one, right? And so if you assume that the Padres are not going to be that good, that maybe they're going to fall back the path, it brings in all these other teams to play. And, you know, two seasons ago, Arizona won 85 games. They, had, they have a really talented team. I also remember, you know, the last few years, the Giants have been sniffing around the wild card. And so I think that if the Padres, I, look, I think the reality is that we're, we're going to think, but whoever is the wild card, if it's the Mets or the, you know, the Padres, um, they're going to have to win 90 plus games. But if neither of them is up to it, all of a sudden you bring in all these other teams in the mix. I think that that's one point to, to point out. Yeah, no. And I, I think there's that that's a fair point to make. You got to figure if you win 90 games, you're, you're going to be very competitive for a, a wild card spot, whether it's well, one or two, it doesn't really matter. It's very hard to win. Still. Yeah. If they 90, yeah. 90 games is a pretty good season. Yeah. Very good. I mean, that's almost almost guarantees you a playoff spot. I think I think the Giants in what was it 2014 or 2016? Um, I think it was 2014. Were actually the second wild card, and 
I think they had they yeah, had under ninety wins. I don't know about the second wild card. I can't yeah, remember. I think I think they had under ninety wins that season. Wow, I mean, I think there was like 80, 88 maybe. I mean, that's very lucky. That's very lucky. Yeah, but then they went on a ridiculous tear, and and Madison Bumgarner just wow. gave his whole right his whole left arm for that championship. Yeah, yeah he unbelievable. Oh, amazing postseason performance. Yeah, but speaking by the way in. If there's a second wild card matchup between the Mets and the Padres, who are you pick? Hmm. So they're vying for the second wild card. Yeah. Or those are the wild card one and two. No, pretend they're they're fighting for the second wild card. Ooh. You get the, Ooh. Get the, uh, the elimination game. I would I would give the edge to the Padres, but it's very very slim. Okay. Because. When you go out and trade for Francisco Lindor, and I, I, I hate to bring that up, Willie, I know it's a sore subject. Yeah. He, you gotta believe you, you gotta believe he's gonna produce remotely close to what he did in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean for sure. You know, obviously, you know, knock on wood, hopefully he stays healthy and, and is able to to settle into New York pretty nicely. But you just you just gotta think that for as good as Lindor is, I mean Offensively, you you think about how how stacked the Padres are. I mean, yes, it's one part of the lineup, but you talk about a guy in Hosmer, who's one of the better one of the better hitters, at least when he you know remembers how to play baseball. Uh, the first couple of years after he signed his deal with the Padres, he kind of forgot how to play baseball, which is you know it's it's a common thing to happen. You sign a big deal, forget how to sports. Then you got Manny Machado, who's Again, had that that similar sort of situation, but last season he started to come good and he started to play better because of a certain Fernando Tatis Jr. He definitely matured a lot in 2020. Did Manny Machado? Oh, so much. And it's so just much. it's just having that younger player kind of tr- you know look up to you as a as a mentor, um, and that that kind of it forces you to grow up a little bit and to to be like I I can't just you know. I have to I have to show this rookie or this young player what a good work ethic looks like. You know, first in, last out. What's up? Do they have a good relationship? Oh, they have a fantastic relationship from from at least everything I've seen and read is that it's it's very much a big brother, little brother kind of relationship. That's great. No, I mean that you know, and Machado has uh not always had the best training or reputation in that sense, but mm-hmm. that's great to see. And I will also say that I mean, the transition to third base, I, I thought the way that he handled moving to third base was great. I mean, I'll always kind of be scarred and uh, that, you know, this is my, you know, I always have an anti-Derek Jeter stance. And so to see him refuse to cede to Alex Rodriguez, who was a fantastic shortstop, uh, to see him, you know, not want to move or to make Alex Rodriguez move to third base, I just thought was just awful and i just can't believe it so it was great to see machado be willing to do that yeah but i mean it, it's it's Derek jeter i mean it, oh it, you know it, it is Derek. he is mr yankee but beyond you know and i know he was an awful shortstop on defense terrible right but you, you talk about an icon and someone who's it, it's he's more than just a baseball player i mean the shortstop is in baseball. It's it's usually you know even at at the little league level that's where it starts. The shortstop's you know the guy on the team, the best player on the team, um, is the one who's going to get the most yeah, most chances to field. Rodriguez was the best player though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but D- Jeter was Jeter's a lifelong. He was a lifelong Yankee, and 
you can't just take shortstop away from Mr. Yankee if he's a shortstop. I guess baseball is no longer a meritocracy. No, it's not. It's not a meritocracy. It's a, it's a game of it's a game of favorites and politics. And uh, in the end, no one knows who's going to win because it's a really hard sport. Well, and I do just want to say, I mean, you're right that baseball is a lot about politics and meritocracy. But I, I do just want to say that for me, one of my favorite storylines following baseball growing up was just the all the drama in the Yankees clubhouse, specifically between those two. I just thought it was so interesting. And then, you know, you had A-Rod who would always struggle in the postseason <laughs> mm. and, and stuff. And so, yeah. But, yeah, I thought that was interesting. It's that, that conflict between uh, two, yeah. two a, uh, type A personalities. That's for sure. You know, it's for like, sure. I'm, I'm the guy. No, I'm the guy. And then you get this clash, and then they end up winning one World Series together? Yeah, 2009. Yeah. So... All those, all those years of what could have been. It's like it's almost like two thousand, two thousand four. There was something that happened, and, and yeah, they weren't the same. And then two thousand seven, they had an opportunity that they they let slip out of their hands, thanks to some some infestation of of some random random insect in Cleveland, if you will. They they really did, bro. They really oh, did. Wow, what a what a series that was. It was. I just remember. The uh, the images of of Jabba Chamberlain covered in those gnats. It's, oh my god! It's a disgusting image if you don't like insects, which I I'm not a huge fan of them, but you know you live with them. Yeah, that was a crazy Jabba Chamberlain was a character. Yeah, interesting. The hard throwing Jabba Chamberlain. Yes. Uh, back to the NL West though. Yeah. There's a few players I want to highlight for this upcoming season. We'll get to the Dodgers a little bit. Uh, but there's there's a few players that I think, you know, for for one reason or another, we're gonna have to have our eye on them. Uh, my first one is no surprise to anyone, Trevor Bauer. Uh, the, the indication was always he was going to go to the Mets. Trevor Bauer was going to sign with the Mets. Big money. Steve Cohen, not afraid to spend it. Yeah. Uh, and he turned around and signs with the Dodgers for yeah. for a three-year deal that's insanely front-loaded. I think he makes a good 75% of the money within the first two years or something like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, in the first two years, it's uh, completely front-loaded. And then yeah. it drops. No. Exactly. So, but we're talking about one of the top three pitchers in the game right now. Uh, and and the thing is with his 2020 season is yes, we had a tiny sample size and it was it was a two month sprint to the finish rather than a a marathon that we're used to seeing. Uh, in 2020, Trevor Barrow had a 1.73 ERA, which yeah. in any season is worthy of of Cy Young consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, but his FIP was 2.88, and I want to talk about the difference between ERA and FIP because we're gonna I'm gonna reference that a little bit when we talk about pitchers. Uh, for those of you who aren't as in tune with the the advanced analytics in baseball, FIP is fielding independent pitching. So it's basically you take away the fielding, you take away, say, a Gold Glove caliber shortstop, um, two elite center like an elite center fielder and a, a great corner outfielder. Uh, what is what does the pitcher's ERA look like when that's taken out of the equation? And so Trevor Bowers was two eight eight this past season. Um, the difference between ERA and FIP, if it's right around one, you have to think okay. You know, he had some help defensively, but he also did a lot of the work himself. And when it's below a two ERA, you have to think, okay, that's not just that his defense is making amazing plays behind him. Is that he's he's also completely dominating hitters. I mean, that's and we've we've seen him kind of trend in that direction for the last few years. Um, and then you know the obvious the end of his uh, his stint in Cleveland does not um, bode well for 
you know, his assessment, the assessment of his character, if you will. But from a pitching standpoint, from a baseball standpoint, he's one of the best. And I don't think anyone expected the Dodgers expected them to get him. I think the the focus was on the Mets or any other team that was hungry. I think were the Padres in that discussion? I think they might have been, but they might have been priced out of it. It was pretty much the Mets and the uh, Dodgers. Yeah, so it, it was a question of a question of dollars and cents, and ultimately yeah. he goes to the Dodgers. And you know, it's interesting because he's coming to a team that just won a title, but yeah. he doesn't have a World Series ring. He has a Cy Young, but he doesn't have a World Series yeah, ring. I think it's a perfect combination of, first of all, he's hungry, mm-hmm. and he's going to motivate the team. And I think that you know Andrew Friedman has mentioned this. It is extremely hard in sports to go back-to-back. It is just you have to have that drive again. Yep. Yeah, the MLB has not had a repeat champion since 2000. Um, and so the Dodgers know this. And I think, to me, part of the reason they overpaid for him or paid as much as they did, maybe don't say overpaid, is not just because he's a great pitcher, but because they know that having that fresh energy and that drive in the clubhouse is going to help them uh, you know, overcome the stagnation that a lot of teams have faced the following season. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's, it's that hunger that he brings to the table that I think is going to be really important for the Dodgers to kind of feed off of that. Because you look at guys like Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger, both of them, I think, are on one-year deals. Or uh, if he's not on a one-year deal, then Seager's. Uh, Seager is. I think Bellinger got a contract extension. No, I think he, I think he signed. I, re- I was reading earlier. I think he signed a one-year, sixteen million-dollar deal to avoid arbitration. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, but if if you figure that they aren't competitive this year, which you know, let's be real, is, is probably not going to happen, then that you know, those are two huge players and. You know, if you're if you're Corey Seager and you had the the World Series you did the postseason you did last season, and if you're Cody Bellinger, who you, yeah. we know he has MVP potential, whether yeah. or not he actually is that good is another question entirely. Then you're going to want to hit the open market and see what's what's out there. I mean, yes, the Dodgers have the financial flexibility to be able to pay that and just ignore the luxury tax, mm-hmm. but ultimately, if you're one of those two players, you got to be thinking, well, what if another team's going to pay me more money and put me in a different position maybe it's maybe bellinger wants to go to the the american league so it can be a dh for the rest of his career and the um no for sure and i think that you're absolutely right um i think that they're going to be looking for money for sure i you know i think they seem to be pretty happy in the team so i don't know if they necessarily want a new role but you know the dodgers are also supposed to be in the, the luxury tax this season uh and you know the repeater tax is stiffer so you figure they're going to have to choose between one of those two. Mm. Um, and you're going to disagree with me, but for me, I would choose Bellinger. Mm. But, uh, you know, but we'll see. I mean, that is definitely a big storyline that uh, mm-hmm. the Dodgers are going to have to follow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Bellinger is actually one of the other players I want to talk about, but I want to get to someone else first. Um, because Bauer actually... Bauer obviously captures all the headlines. You know, he's the reigning Cy Young Award winner in a different in in the National League. Sorry, and then he goes to a different team in the National League. Uh, but Fernando Tatis Jr. He's the other big player uh, to watch between um, you know the the big ones in the in the NL West. Obviously, yes, you have the massive contract and you had the just electric play last season. Um, the you know old school baseball fans are not going to like me talking about him hitting a grand slam on a three zero count while up seven. But if you're gonna if you're gonna throw one over the middle, don't don't cry when it goes out. 
I'm sorry. It's one of the most ridiculous things. I was explaining um, the unwritten rules of baseball to um, to Chris, who we had in the podcast a couple weeks ago, and he was just all kinds of confused as to to why they why it's a thing. And I, I tried to come up with a good answer, and I just didn't have one. It, it's ridiculous how you can play a game to win and be lambasted for it. It, it's just it doesn't make sense and we need more players like Tatis Jr. like Ronald Acuna Jr. who do not care about your feelings who if you hang one over the plate um, you're going to have to go get it out of the ocean as Max Muncy once said yeah. you're right Owen and I think the bottom line is um, yes first of all you're right if you throw a bad pitch where you're not supposed to hit <laughs> but I think that bottom line is baseball needs to grow and just in general, sports are about entertainment. That's what it is. It's about people having fun, enjoying, taking the time to do something in their free time, and just having a fun time whether you're watching and going to the games. And Fernando Tatis provides entertainment. And so there should be absolutely nothing wrong. If anything, people should you know love, wa- love watching him, what he brings to the game. He's probably the most exciting player to watch in baseball, I would say. Yeah. And I remember when he came up in 2019 and he hit – he hit a home run that was just a laser. I mean, it, this was probably just a straight-up line drive that had way too much behind it, and and got out in a millisecond. And it was it was it was moments like that where I was thinking, oh, oh no, this kid's for real, because that takes not only a lot of strength but just sheer ability to be able to square up a baseball on oh, yeah. basically a straight line. And hit it over a fence that's at least nine, ten feet tall. Oh yeah, I mean, bro, he he's got a lot of pop. I'll tell you mm-hmm. that. I mean, yeah. he's not afraid to swing that 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 thing. Yeah, and I, I don't think a lot of people realize he's a big dude too. He's not he's not like a oh he, he's not he does he's not like tall and skinny. He's he's a pretty big dude. He's the the modern day shortstop these days. He's he's very muscular. You yeah, know? He's really built. Yeah, I mean, baseball players are all pretty pretty strong but he especially is yeah he, he's a strong dude and um did you know that uh Owen, did you know that um he was the youngest player to start in the major leagues when he came up since do you know who the the, the previous youngest player who was younger than him who made their mlb debut mm, it wasn't I, mookie betts was it uh, it was not mookie betts no Harper? No. Wow. I'm lost. It was uh, Adrian Beltre. Really? Adrian Beltre. Interesting. In, not, with, in the 1999. Wow. And talk about the career he had with uh, several different teams. Yep. That's right. Tatis was 20 when he made his debut, and he's lived up to being top prospect in, in mm-hmm. baseball. Sure. Yeah. So keep an eye on Tatis this year. I mean, Obviously, we only have a season, really at one, collectively one full season, because he's, in his career in the majors, he's only played 143 games. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't even have a full season uh, worth of data on him yet. But that said, from what we did see this past year and it, back into 2019 as well, I think there's a lot of a lot of excitement around him and for a very good reason. Yeah, he's every bit what we want in a baseball player. Yeah, I mean his his career OPS is already nine fifty six. That's yeah, higher than yeah. Mookie Betts, 
Nolan Arenado, who we're going to talk about a little later, yeah. and Cody Bellinger. And I think that's really key because I think, look, ultimately what matters is is being getting on base. You know, I think that, you know, even though the sabermetric movement is, is growing, um, there are still should be way more emphasis placed on high on base guys. You know, I'm, I'm really thinking about Javi Baez taking a shot at him a little bit. So, you know, it's just that that's like a very OPS is a very basic piece that, you know, mm. yeah. Can so, I mention a couple players in the division? That yeah. They're really cool. To watch? Of course. There's two others that are, are really cool to watch. Mm. Uh, not one is a more established player. One's a prospect. One is, I, as I mentioned before, I think Mackenzie Gore. He's the top pitching prospect in the MLB. Mm. Um, he's pitched some, a couple spring training games for the Padres. He looked really good. Um, you know, I don't know if he's going to crack that rotation, but whenever he makes the major leagues, he is going to be awesome. And the second player is uh, Zach Gallen. I think he might be the most underrated pitcher in the MLB. Very, very good. Um, and so, you know, he's another guy to watch. Mm, interesting because we we talk about how important pitchers are going to be especially ones who are going to fly under the radar yeah uh so keep an eye on those two for sure absolutely a couple others want to talk about two teammates with the padres um of course a lot of this talk is padres and um padres and dodgers but rightfully so i mean the focus has to be on on both of them uh Uh, it's you darvish and denelson lamette so yeah obviously we saw in spurts last year, how good Lamette can be. Um, He unfortunately couldn't stay healthy for the Dodgers for the whole season um, or the Padres. I'm sorry, against the Dodgers. And that I think would have, would have helped them pretty significantly is if he, if he was able to go at least four or five innings in a game. But you look at the numbers, he had a 209 ERA in 2020 and his FIP was only 248. I mean, we're talking about a minuscule difference between the FIP and his ERA. So that that tells you about his his potential. He has to live up to it, obviously, but that's that's a huge shout for a very very talented player. Yeah, he. I mean, I think that. I mean, it's hard to even talk about what I'm about to say because it was such a short season. But I mean, Nelson Lamet before he got hurt was right in the thick of the Cy Young race. Mm. He's that good. Yeah, he's got a his his uh, hook is a uh, very good. Yeah, the this, this stuff is there. The stuff is absolutely oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Very, very exciting. Uh, the other one, you, Darvish. Uh, Darvish had a, a very similar ERA last season. Uh, 2-1-3, obviously, is a really short season. But a 2-1-3 ERA. Uh, and his career low ERA is 2-92. It was one of the seasons he was with Texas. In 32 starts, he had a 2-9-2 ERA. So, he hasn't... He's been pretty inconsistent, especially since he left Texas. Yeah. But we're talking about with a Cy Young Award winner in Snell, who's going to be the ace, no question. Darvish, if Lamette can stay healthy, Gore when he comes up to the big leagues, if Chris Paddock can uh, can hone in on his command, we're talking about an elite four or five guy, and all of a sudden you have a tremendous rotation, not even including for, for next year, Mike Clevenger. Yeah. So there's so much reason for optimism if you are a Padres fan, and it's why, and rightly so, a lot of the focus in the offseason should be on them. Now, will they live up to it is the question. Uh, and obviously they have, you know, they have some pretty uh, pretty stiff competition up north uh, here in L.A. 
But I gotta say, it's Padres and Dodgers is gonna be there. It's gonna be one of the most interesting series I think this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's gonna be that's the, probably the single biggest and most exciting thing to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly on you, Darvish. You're right. He has been inconsistent. Although last year, I mean, albeit in a shortened se- you know season, like very good season with the Cubs, um, and he came into his own. I do think that Darvish. Um, and, you know, we talk about this um, in sports. I really think that you, Darvish, is never going to be able to – I know this is harsh, but the reality is that he's never going to be able to shake the 2017 World Series um, until he has um, – he can win another championship. I looked up earlier this year – I looked earlier today. You know what his ERA was in his two starts in the World Series um, in 2017? It has to be. It has to be north of ten, doesn't it? Ten guess. Thirteen. Higher. Ouch. Seventeen. Higher. Oh no! It's in the twenty. It's in the. It can't be in the thirties. Uh no no no! It's not in the thirties. <sighs> okay, well as long as it's not in the thirties. What was the ERA? That's that. Uh, those two starts. It was a uh, twenty-one sixty. Oh, yeah. Well, part of me blames Dave Roberts for leaving him in for so long, especially in a do or die game seven at home. You can't leave a guy who's getting shelled in the first inning in the game that long. I mean, he has to come out of the game in the first inning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I get it. It's like the optics are bad and you're, you know, you're it it, from a, a, I guess, strategic standpoint. It's a little bit of a chess match, too, because. If you take out your starter and your starter is you Darvish, who's one of the you know premier pitchers in terms of just raw stuff in baseball. Uh, if you take him out of the game in the first inning, you're not waving the white flag, but you're saying, OK, we're panicking. We, we need to stay in this game. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that, that doesn't factor the decision making, but why he stayed in the game as long as he did, I think, is a, a little bit of a, a question mark. Um, now we can talk about the we can talk about 2017. And the Astros and their their sign stealing all we want to, but in reality, uh, Darvish was not good enough in the World Series for the Dodgers. So, if if he's able to to take the Padres and you know collectively with the the new talent they have on that team, if he's able to take them to the playoffs and and beat the Dodgers in a series or get further than the Dodgers, then I think we'll we'll see, you know, a lot of that that significant weight lifted off his shoulders. Yeah, I mean. For sure. I think it's one of those things that, you know, it's just hard for the fans to shake, I, I will say. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the last two players I want to highlight uh, and, and the players to watch are no surprise players from the Dodgers. Um, I think you know who these players are. It's Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger. So, I was looking at, I was I was doing a little bit of research before before the podcast just to have a little more of a statistical backing to this. So, Cody Bellinger's career OPS in the few seasons he's been in the big leagues, is 9-11 in the regular season. Career, 9-11 OPS, which is, that's really, really good. It's higher than Mookie Betts. You know what his OPS is in the postseason? It's really bad. It's 6-13 in the postseason. He hit above 200 once in a postseason series. But So I think, here's the interesting thing about that. So... I think that um, Cody Bellinger has had that problem. You know, pitchers have seen the figure him out, but I do think that 
he he made that swing change, and I think he really fixed a lot of holes in the swing. Shorter, more compact, a lot more flat. Um, I mean, still a launch angle. And I think that that, you know, theoretically, the reason he revamped the swing last year with, with uh, that in mind. Yeah, and I think 2019 was the kind of beginning of that. And that's that's the season where he he really minimized his strikeouts, and he was a lot more, you know, I, I would compare him to Bryce Harper in the sense that the issue with Bryce Harper was he was he was cheating inside. So he was trying to kind of get ahead of pitchers and kind of cheat to the inside. So the way to get around that is to throw up and away. And anything up and away for Bryce Harper, I think right after his uh, his MVP season, is basically a free strike. Cody Bellinger kind of had that same issue before 2019. And then obviously 2019, he had that tremendous two-month, two, three-month stretch for the All-Star break. Where I think he was hitting like 400 for most of that oh, most of that time. Dude, he's on a tear. Un- un- unbelievable, unbelievable play for honestly, for those couple months. Honestly, was that the best hitting you've ever seen in your life? Because I think those two months was the best hitting I've ever seen anyone. I grew up a fan of Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz, so I have to say no. No, no way. In the stats, but I can't remember them ever having a two month stretch where they were that hot. But. Mm. I mean, I don't know those those prime years between '04 and '07 were pretty pretty gnarly. What's that? I said we'll have to dig in the numbers to see. Yeah, we'll have to take a look at that. But hitters, but I'm saying, did they have like stretches where they were scorching hot? I mean, mm. well, we're talking about like <laughs> to hit. He was hitting like 450 with whole yeah. power. So it yeah. was like you know, and he's a high on base guy in general. So right, right. Um, but back to Cody Bellinger. So the other interesting thing with him is is you talk about players who are in the lineup to do damage. Cody Bellinger's not a player who's in the lineup to get on base. I mean, yes, it helps. But he's in the lineup to do damage and to drive in runs. Mm-hmm. But he averages 143 strikeouts a season in his career. And that includes his MVP season. He, he kept it, I think, at or around 100, maybe a little more than 100, maybe a little less than 100. But outside of that, to have 143 strikeouts per year on average, it's a little too high for a player who's considered one of the best in baseball. And, you know, this is going to sound like sour grapes, but the only reason he did what he did to the Braves is because Chris Martin made a horrible mistake and mm. left one right over the middle of the plate. If you watch where the home run is in Game 7 of the NLCS in 2020, it was right down the middle. Mm-hmm. Up, in the zone, sure. down the middle. 95 miles an hour. Who is not going to square that? Who at the top level of baseball is not going to square that up? And at least at least get extra bases out of it. I mean, it, it was a bad pitch. Braves, I mean, the Braves did a Braves. Um, Braves did in Atlanta, I should say. And, you know, but credit to Bellinger. He, he took advantage. But the thing is, like, it's it's moments like that. They're, he makes plays like that. You know, he obviously, he what is he, robbed a home run against San Diego? And, and he hit a home run against the Braves. But what else did he do last season in the po- that was really, really memorable? Mm-hmm. Well, he did hit the um, home run against the Braves. Didn't he? Yeah, but outside of that. Um, I mean, what did he do in that series? Not much. I mean, he, it, yeah, and, and, and people talk about his, his arm and his fielding. He isn't a great route runner as far as reading the ball off the bat. He makes up for it because he's so- he makes. Exactly, he's he's really yeah, athletic. Not on the broadcast a lot. He's not a great route runner, but he just he he can recover a ridiculous amount of ground. Mm-hmm. So you know, yeah, 
he's he's like six foot four. He's really athletic. I, I do want to say, I mean, I definitely think there's a lot to be desired with this play in the postseason. But basically, mm. like while the strikeouts is a big deal, when you factor in the fact that he's a high on base guy, like the fact that you know A is a very good fielder, he's still one of the best center fielders in the game. You know, if not the at, at times the bat, he can be the best. You know, he won a gold glove. Um, but at least he's a high on base guy. I do just want to stress that he, he's, he takes a good eye. He takes a lot of walks because the worst is when you have high strikeout guys that don't get on base. That's yeah. a killer. That's an absolute no. killer. And, and that's, a, that's a fair point. But you're right. There's no doubt that in the postseason, he's you know struggled a lot. Yeah. He's he's been primarily invisible his entire career in the postseason. I think it was what was it game five of the World Series that the Astros won in uh, in Houston. Um, yep. He he had that um, that double that drove in two or three late in the game, but I mean realistically, he kind of disappears in the postseason, and you know that happens before. We've seen we just talked about Alex Rodriguez, who he was that kind of player as well, who was yeah. you know obviously dominant in the regular season, but really struggled in the postseason. You know, it, it's not, it's not uncommon, but I think the 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 hype with Cody Bellinger is a little too much. I think people talk about that throw a couple years ago where he, I don't, I can't remember who, I think it was against the Brewers. He gunned down someone at the plate. Um, the the only reason that play that that was an out is because, um, or no, was it um, was it 2019? Can't remember. Uh, whatever the reason was, the only reason that throw works is because the runner was not necessarily quick hmm. that throw was 10 feet up the line you're not supposed to throw 10 feet up the line mm-hmm. you, you, it, it was it was a really it was a strong throw yeah sure but it was a really really bad direction on the throw i mean you're, you're supposed to hit the hit the catcher at home plate or right around there not 10 feet up the line and the only reason it worked is because the runner was already there so he just kind of catchers kind of just already there i think it was barnes and just kind of text it, it and you're out so, realistically, realistically with Bellinger, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't get as much of the hype. And yes, this is probably sour grapes, but like, I, like, he just, he just turns invisible in the postseason. And to be considered elite, you can't necessarily do that. I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a rebuke to that, even though I respect. First of all, I want to mention he, even though he did have surgery, he is typically durable, which is mm. a big thing. I don't want to underestimate that because a lot of players have injuries. But on he has, and I, I don't even like this, but he has a career 857 OPS, which is good. But that's if you count even his like rookie year. Uh, and so if you, most years, Owen, he's like top 15, 20 in OPS. So like the postseason is one thing, but like you know what else do you like? It's like yeah, you're really good if you perennially can get not in the point nines and nine hundreds and OPS. You're yeah, really it's good. like yeah. Know. No, I, I I get that, and it's you know obviously I'm I'm not I'm not disputing the fact that he's a really really good player. I'm not disputing that. I'm more just getting at the fact that he he's not top top in baseball he, he's kind of gets that hype and yes he, he plays in a big market so he's going to get that attention like the uh like a minus tier in my opinion 
Yeah, I mean, people talk about him like he's a top center fielder in baseball. He's not even the best center fielder on his team. <laughs> Mookie Betts is a center fielder who plays in right field. And the only reason he plays in right field is because right field at Fenway is so huge that you have to have someone who can cover the amount of ground a center fielder does. That's why he's a right fielder, not a center fielder. When, when Jackie Bradley Jr., when Mookie Betts was back in Boston, when Jackie Bradley Jr. was injured, or when he couldn't play, guess who played in center field? Mookie Betts, because he's a center fielder. He's not a right fielder. But he, Cody Bellinger's not the best center fielder on his team, let alone in the league. He's just not. I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize for that. He's not. Okay. Mookie Betts is the second best player. He's the best player in baseball not named Mike Trout. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I actually think uh, it's, even, it's very close between Betts and Trout. Um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and defensively, he's nowhere near that. He's nowhere near the best. You're talking about uh, who, Bellinger? Bellinger, yeah. Oh, I, that's a bit of a stretch. But, mm -hmm. I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr., Kevin Kiermaier, Mookie Betts, all yeah, right all, there, off the top better. of the head. A lot. I don't think the gap is quite as big as you'd say, but that, that's fair. I mean, they're definitely all better than, you know, yeah. even more than I do, so I'll go with yeah. that. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is sour grapes, but realistically, you know, he's not. he hasn't earned that but Owen, let's, that let's even, place. Let's even talk about that. Uh, for a second, because uh, Kevin Kiermaier and Jackie Bradley Jr. can't hit, so Bellinger. Can't. Right. No, I was talking about defensively. No, I know, but I'm just yeah. saying to his overall point. I mean, right, right. Very defensively. I mean, and I mean, we can talk about this a little later, right? But I just think the truth is, like, in today's era, um, where there's so much power and its depth of lineup is important, I think it's very hard to. Um, hide a player that can't hit. Yeah. Uh, for instance, like, what are your thoughts on? I mean, we could talk about him, but Christian Pache, right? Great. Field, yeah. But he, I mean, there's questions. Can he handle that? And when you're, I mean, when you're now, particularly even now with the pitcher coming back to hit, it's like if you're going to play, you got to have a strong one through eight. Mm -hmm. so, no, and that's that's true. And yeah. I, like the point that he's not the best defensive center fielder or that he's not a great defensive center fielder it is not, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's still an all around very good player. It doesn't take away from that at all. Like it, it, it doesn't, it's more so just like, let's, let's slow the hype a little bit. Say if he's able to produce kind of what he did in 2019, a little lower on that scale, but for a full season and in the postseason, anywhere close to that, then, then we'll, we'll be talking about him in that discussion. But until then, it, it's just, I, I don't, I don't think he belongs in that discussion yet. And the fact that he already is in that discussion for a lot of folks is, is a little bit like, hold, hold on, hold on now. Like he's a very good baseball player, but let's, let's not forget these very important metrics. Here's all I'll say. Here's all I'll say. I, you know, you know so much. And so I'll, you know, defer to you. But one thing I will say Owen, is that, cause I, you know, there's not, you'd be surprised at how little, uh, and this is kind of shocking actually, like, how little, how few uh, two-way center fielders there are in the MLB. I think, if, assuming, counting, not counting Mookie Betts, right? You got Trout, you got Bellinger, you got George Springer. Like, that's about it. Like, I mean, okay. I mean, what, do you want to throw in, uh, you know, Nemo, Brandon Nemo? I mean, who else do you want to put in there? Go ahead. You want to put in Roman Liriano? Okay. He's, he's a level down from all those guys. Lorenzo Cain, like okay. 
well, who else would you? So my point is, you know, that to a Brett Gardner, like, I don't know, like, you know, so the point is, yeah. like, I, I just think it's the center field position is so important. And, you know, I, I, I'll buy that, you know, Bellinger is overrated, but I just want to say that that position, I think it's, it's just a plea, a premium is placed so much that I think when you get a two way player, it's important. It's just like a shortstop, right? Mm. When you get a, a really good hitting shortstop, you got a big, you know, advantage, I would say. But even yeah. more so center fielder, um, even so. No, that's true. And I, the last thing I want to say, because I do want to move on to uh, a little bit more highlighting of the Dodgers before we go on to the other two divisions in the National League. With with Cody Bellinger, it's not that my stance is he's a bad baseball player. I just want to make that abundantly clear for anyone who's listening to this who has the wrong idea. I don't think he's a bad player at all. He's a very good baseball player, and he's rightly so getting a lot of recognition. But he's not in the conversation for top in baseball. No, he, no, and I, he gets put in that conversation way too much for my like for my taste. Yeah. And that might be sour grapes because yes, I still get flashbacks to that that game seven home run against Atlanta where Chris Martin decides to throw ninety five right over the heart of the plate instead of you know literally anywhere else. And it's, uh, I'm still sad. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you, Owen. I, I think that he's, you know, he shouldn't be placed in that elite tier for sure. Yeah, uh, but I do want to talk about the Dodgers as a whole because you know they are the, they are the defending champions, and we do want to give them the the spotlight they deserve. Uh, I, they only got better. I think they don't. They haven't. They haven't gotten worse at all. No. Um, they've lost a couple relievers, but realistically, you're looking at this a very very similar team. Um, and and also they're they're getting David Price this year. That's basically like a new signing because he yeah. opted out of 2019, but Price or uh, I'm sorry, 2020, but he's ready to go. Hopefully, a full year off, he'll be good. David Price. Yeah, and and he's actually the X factor for the Dodgers for me this season. Is what they're going to get out of David Price is going to go a long way as to determining how good they are and how uh, how high the chances that they are going to repeat. Yeah, I mean, for sure, Alan. I think um, he. Well, we'll we'll see. They've they've got you know just like the uh, Padres, they've got they got too many starters. But I think that you know, I I think for them, the I just think that the Trevor Bauer signing was huge. Mm. I really do think the Trevor Bauer signing was just so big. Yeah, and, you know those two are gonna freshen things up, add some some more pop to that rotation, and you know in. In the postseason, they'll they can pitch in the bullpen if needed. So. Exactly. I mean, you you think about that rotation right there, discounting everyone else who started. One through four: Kershaw, Bueller, Bauer, Price. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Those are three Cy Young Award winners and a very strong potential in Bueller. Hmm. That that's absurd. It's it's stupid, and it's it's just it's. Like yes, David Price is not the pitcher he was um, when he won his first Cy Young Award or when he won um, the World Series with Boston in 2018, but he's still a very, very solid pitcher and one of the best in baseball. Yeah, and he's experienced. He can mentor guys like Bueller and Bauer to some extent. It's just it's it's an abundance. It's embarrassment of riches for the Dodgers. Oh, I mean, yeah, like for sure. Yeah, I think I mean we could talk about this, but you know I like watching pitchers, and I I I mean I think you know Bueller for sure is in the conversation for the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, yeah, I think I think one more year and of of producing the way he is, and he'll be able to take the uh, 
take the title from Kershaw as best pitcher for the Dodgers. Oh, he already is. Seriously? I mean, I'm not saying he should. Yeah, I get okay. I guess he's best pitcher, but he's not the ace. He'll take the ace mantle no, no, from no, Kershaw. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, that's what not, I meant to say. He, he he's better than Kershaw at this point in his career. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, but Kershaw's still the ace. That's still Kershaw's yeah, team. No, for sure. I'm curious. We'll we'll have to follow Kershaw to see, you know, what he does. I think his storylines are just so interesting, and I'm curious to see if he can continue to uh, pitch well and pad his mm. resume and 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 what we're going to get from him. Yeah. The benefit of a short season last year for the Dodgers was really just it's keeping Kershaw healthy because for I mean, how many years has it been since we've had a full season of Clayton Kershaw, you know, anywhere close to 90 percent healthy all season? Not not many. Right. And and probably early 2010s. Right. And and so it's it's one of those things where we're going back to a full season. We're going to see a big difference in a lot of different players. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's a potential that we've already seen, you know, the best we, I mean, we've definitely already seen the best of, of uh, Kershaw, but I mean, are we going to get anything close to what we got last season with, you know, that was obviously only 60 games, like a hundred more than that. It was incredible last season. Mm-hmm. And velocity ticked back up at the end. So yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's keeping Kershaw healthy. That's the that's another another big uh, big factor for the Dodgers. Yeah, and having the depth is going to help them. Yeah, do they have the best chance to repeat since since the Yankees in two thousand? You think best chance uh, on paper? You'd have to say so, but in general, I would never predict a repeat champion. I just would not do it. But if you're asking, do I think they have the best? I would say yes. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think. The other teams that are in that conversation are probably, probably, God, even I don't even know if you can put anyone in that conversation, because, I mean, how many different champions have we had since two thousand? We've had the Marlins win once, um, the Angels win one. Wow. Okay, we had the Marlins. We've had the Phillies. Had Marlins a few times. Phillies, Giants, Angels, Sox. Dodgers, um, Nationals, yes. yeah, a lot, a lot of different teams. Cubs, you know, um, Cubs, Royals, yeah, Royals, wow, yeah, yeah, it's had a lot of different teams win the champ. The Cardinals twice, Cardinals, yep. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of parody in baseball right now, and it's a it's a really good thing. I would agree. I would I would totally agree. Yeah. So if if the West is any indication of what the baseball season is going to hold of what 20 of what 2021 is going to hold for us, then Willie, I'm excited. Can I, I'm can really I, excited. Can I one, one quick thing about the NLS. Real quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the, the theme podcast. We could have a whole podcast about this, but I do just want to take the, the chance to uh, say, and maybe I've mentioned this before that, um, and I mean, we could talk for a couple hours about this, but to reflect on the how good I mean, the Colorado Rockies the last like mm. it feels like my whole lifetime have had good teams, and this is the first or a lot of talent, and this is the first year where they're I mean, they're just gonna be awful. <laughs> yeah, and it's gonna be sad, but I just think of all the great players they had, and I remember the year when Tulowitzki was playing really well and they made the playoffs, I think mm. they lost to the Dodgers, but it's kind of sad to me that they're, 
they're they're shut and you know as we know in baseball anything can happen but there's no guarantee that uh if you're a bad organization that you're ever going to come back and so i think we should say i feel bad for the rockies fans because i mean who knows there's no guarantee they're going to be good again for the next like 20 years like oh wow if you're a rockies fan uh i'm i'm, I'm sorry for that just, uh, it's not my words but <laughs> no 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 but i i get what you're saying though and especially it's it's just it's unfathomable almost when you sign a player, a generational talent like Nolan Arenado to a massive extension and then trade him pretty soon after that. It's got to be a, just a punch in the gut if you're a Rockies fan. If you're a Rockies fan. And, and you know, it, it, you're torn because, you know, obviously your window is kind of closed with, with Arenado gone. He's kind of, you know, he was the face of the franchise for so long. And, but, you know, just as a baseball fan and as, as someone who's, you know, who's, who's wanted his, wanted their players to succeed. If you watch Arenado with the, with the Cardinals, you, you can't help but root for him because he played so well for the team for so long. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, he's a fantastic player and he was so fun to watch. Um, and it's sad. I mean, it's just, it's, I feel like. I feel I feel like bottom line is you know no fan no matter they're they're they they discount heavily like there's there's no fan no matter if you told a player that a team there's no fan who would say I'd rather just be bad and rebuild you know every fan would say I'd rather like want a reason to watch my team play mm-hmm. so you know it's just when you have decent players like the Rockies do, you know, it makes you relevant, even if you're not the best team and it gives you some hope. But if you've got the team of its star players, I mean, man, you have no reason to watch your team. So yeah, it's just sad, very sad. Right. Very much so. Yep. And that's actually a really good segue into the NL central because the yeah. first player to watch in the NL central for me this season is big surprise is Nolan Arenado. It's, yeah. We get to see what I mean. So much of the of the buzz around around him, his entire career has been, oh well, he's his splits home and away aren't great. It's the course field effect, and we talked about hitters and pitchers in Colorado kind of having a different um, having a different outlook on them. You're going to see the exact same thing from Arenado. He's he's that kind of talent doesn't just go away. Sure, and you're going to a team that prides itself in you know they're kind of like the san antonio spurs of of baseball they kind of do everything the right way they they they're very fundamental focused team and organization and when you have a guy who's who's just so good at the basic parts of the game he makes the unbelievable plays look routine it's it's just it's incredible and you and you talk about them adding goldschmidt what was it two years ago and Uh, yeah and you're you're you're, su- you're supplementing Paul Goldschmidt with Nolan Arenado. One of those two, one is protecting the other, and that's a scary thought. For sure. I mean, I think Goldschmidt has kind of declined a little bit, just a little, just a touch. He's not yeah. like the MVP candidate he was, but I, you know, I think that for sure, if uh, Arenado can, you know, hit really well, it'll that that lineup needs some pop for sure. Mm. So, you know, 
it'll be really fun to see those two potentially uh, be there, man. I love when you got those like three, four guys in the lineup, you know, like those mm-hmm. three, four hitters in the lineup. It makes it so fun, man. Right. Like we were just talking about like Manny, Big Poppy, Jeter, and uh, A-Rod. It, it makes for a lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't wait to see him there and uh, maybe rejuvenated. You know, and he's definitely one of those guys that, you know, you wish MLB fans really got a chance to watch. And now he'll get more of a spotlight for sure. Yep, definitely, definitely. And, and the car. He's definitely, I'll just say this. He's because I love folks on, on the casual fan, the entertainment value. I, yeah. I just, he's so fun to watch. He is. He's a great, great watch. Yeah. If you're new to watching baseball and you want to know what third base is like, watch Nolan Arenado. He makes it look so easy. But I, I guarantee you, I played I played quite a bit of third base when I was you know back in playing baseball. There's nothing easy about playing third base at all, at all. It's it's one of the harder. I mean, they call it the hot corner for a reason, because yeah. you got to be you got to be on your toes at all times, and you got to have a really strong arm. His his uh and just his uh you know reflexes the way he you know he can you know come forward and, and get the ball or he, he doesn't have to stand really far back. Like he can just snag everything with his glove mm-hmm. and he, yeah. like you said, he kind of throws it like that. It's just, it's just great, man. Yeah. He's got range. He's got arm. He's got, he's got the bat. Yeah. He's, he's everything you need a modern day corner infielder to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And he's, he's the best defensive third baseman in baseball. There's, there's very little debate. Matt Chapman has a has a, a shout for sure, but I, I, I would say Arnado's better. But Arnado's better, but yeah. you know, it's, it, when you pick between the two, it's really hard to pick Chapman over Arnado. Yeah. Fair enough. It's really hard, but that's not to say Chapman's not a good. He's not an elite defensive third baseman. Yeah, he's, like he's those great. two. If if you want to watch third base and you want to be treated to something, wait until uh, the Cardinals play the A's if that ever happens. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals play the A's. Watch watch that series. Because it's thir- elite third baseman going toe to toe. Oh, it'll be great, bro! It'll be it'll be fantastic. Um, on terms of the uh, Cardinals, man, I, I should just uh, mention this. Um, I really do think that, um, you know, and this wouldn't be necessarily the most popular thing to say, but I really do think that St. Louis is very close. I mean, I. I, I would I think they're much closer than a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a really good rotation, very very good rotation. Um, and with Arenado, he gives them a little more. They they really struggled to hit last year. Um, that's a team definitely that you know. Yes, the ML, that's a team that I definitely would not play in the playoffs, and you know is I, I think is could could surprise a lot of people and, and maybe, you know, even win the national league. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Especially with, with the R I mean, you got the sense that last year was a bit of an aberration. I mean, Jack Flaherty's ERA last year was, was in the high fours, which is unthinkable for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a career 10.6 K yeah. per nine, which is absurd. It's almost 11 strikeouts per nine innings mm-hmm. and a career 337 ERA. It, it's, it's last year was definitely an aberration. Oh yeah, I mean, right. I mean, he, you know, think about the previous season, like how good he was, you know. That that's, you know, but 
But think about them, and they have uh, Kim. They got the new guy they signed mm-hmm. last year. They got Dakota Hudson. They still have Wainwright. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, Flaherty, right? Um, so that's that's four really good pitchers right there. Mm-hmm. Um, man, like, hey, I mean, that's probably what you're going to need to compete in the league. So, you know, they they put themselves in a really good position. Yeah. And I think with the Cardinals, the interesting thing is, at least in our lifetime, I don't remember ever thinking, yeah, the Cardinals are really bad this year. They've, for whatever reason, they've just been good consistently. Be consistent organization. Uh, yeah. For sure. Um, I, I would agree with that, man. I can't, uh, I can't remember if like bad Cardinals teams because they went to, they won a hundred, was it 104 games in 04, whatever it was. And and they got swept by Boston because Boston was unbelievably hot. Uh, what was it? 2000, 2006, winning the World Series. Yep. Uh, 2011, winning the World Series. Yep. It's, it's just like, I, I can't remember. And then 2013, going to the World Series. I, I can't remember a bad Cardinals team. I mean, yeah, they, there were seasons they weren't as good, but they weren't a bad team. They're never, you know, blow it up. Yeah, no, they, they, um, they're, they're definitely a class organization man everything from the players they sign in free agency to the players that they you know have come up through the farm system i mean they're just awesome great Mm -hmm. great culture yeah and if not for the yankees they'd have the most titles in baseball that's right man. they're they're the only other team in double digits right now the yankees (laughs) and the cardinals yeah man well you know what i said i don't think the yankees are gonna win a world series title in my lifetime, so, that know? is a controversial take that uh some some yeah. folks in new york will not like yeah man I, if you were me and you'd make a lot of money in vegas <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to test that theory one day you know uh speaking of um another player that's uh speaking of a fun a fun guy to watch um you know i haven't watched him too much but a lot of people um talk about tyler o'neill another good like young player um for the cardinals and kind of disappointed last year but he's kind of another potentially fun guy to watch if you can pop a little bit yep yep definitely i think there's a lot of a lot of reason to be excited about the national league central this year just because it's so wide open i mean you have to think the cardinals are probably favorites but I mean, the Cubs are not yes. a bad team, especially when you still have Rizzo and Bryant at the corners and, and Baez in the middle. That's still right. That's still a good team. You talk about Milwaukee, who were, you know, a whisker away from playing for uh, playing for a World Series a couple of years ago. And, you know, it's it's just like there's there's no clear favorite in that division. And, and the Reds were a playoff team last year. I mean, the, the who, who thought the Reds were going to be relevant in uh, in 2020? Yeah, no, you know? I mean, there's no, you know, people say the NL Central is going to be weak. I don't, I don't buy it. You know, the National yeah. is so tough. I do just want to say um, on the NL Central, and I know I mentioned it to you, but um, I find the Cubs a really fascinating team mm. to watch. Um, it was an amazing story to watch them win the World Series, um, but. This, uh, this is it's really sad to be honest. If you're a Cubs fan right now, um, because this is like I think their last hurrah as a championship team. Um, the pieces have been kind of. I mean, they still have a really good core of players. You're right, 
but the pieces have been kind of slowly, you know, getting older, a little more stale. They don't have the depth in the prospects like a lot of teams do. So they don't have a good talent pipeline. They're headed towards a rebuild pretty soon. So I always get sad, but I think it's really interesting. You watch teams when they have this championship window, do they maximize? Because in sports, you never know when you're going to get back. And so mm. for me, they're one of the, actually the most interesting teams to watch because I want to see if they have another run in them. I, I don't know if they do or not. but Absolutely. And and Theo Epstein leaving the club, That's that was big too. That's, I mean, big news. They, they don't have a... Yeah, oh, and if this is. I think if you're a Cubs fan, you better enjoy this season because this. Yeah, definitely. And and honestly, if the Cubs aren't contending by the trade deadline, then you can realistically see yeah. both Rizzo and Bryant getting traded. Bryant almost certainly, but Rizzo almost for sure, as well, or potentially as well. For sure, I, both those guys. I mean, like Chris Bryant's been in trade rumors for a long time, so I yeah. think for sure you could see some guys dealt. Maybe even like Kyle Hendrick, Kyle Hendricks, even like could be. Man, he's I mean, he's good, but I mean, you never know. I mean, teams teams blow it up at unexpected times in baseball. It's it's one of the really fascinating things that that's yeah. why the off season is. I mean, this year has been probably the best off season I can remember. Yeah. Um, but the trade deadline sometimes it is bananas. How many big yeah. trades we see and and what no. what it means for teams in the short run and the long term. I just want to say one thing about that, which I think is really interesting. We should have a whole podcast about this because I think it's really interesting. But, you know, the reason why like teams like the Dodgers are so good, right, is like the Dodgers do not make stupid trades. Like they have this continuous, they have great player development, and they keep churning out prospects. And I can't tell you, Owen, like if you were to look at it, it's, it's you know, it's interesting. Like teams make really foolish trades at the deadline. And I think that a lot of times, if I had to guess, like they're not worth it. And like they're really, really not worth it. Like rarely do do guys get you over the hump and like one player and rarely do does is that worth like gutting the few best prospects you have in your farm system because mm. that means that's the difference between you being good for a while and you having to go into full rebuild mode. Yeah. I, I mean I, yeah. It's an interesting point because you think of the two seasons the Dodgers had where they made two pretty big moves where they went out and got you Darvish at the deadline in 2017 yep. following year, they went out and got Manny Machado mm-hmm. and they got someone before 2019 who I can't remember off the top of my head. They trade for someone trade with the Red Sox back then to get Adrian Gonzalez and like Crawford. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 2012 it was Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, Nick Punto was part of that trade and what a legend he was. Always on web gems on on great, uh, baseball great, tonight. Great fielder. Yeah. Oh yeah, elite top fielder. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, but they can get away with it because they they develop players so well these days. I mean, they've they've. Oh, and I would to be honest with you, the Dodgers are different. Okay, yes, they can get away with it, but I would honestly say, and I I've read about this, like the Dodgers, they don't make foolish trades. I think if you go back, like they don't get suckered in like really bad moves, even when mm. they trades. Yeah. That's true. That's true as well. I mean, they did, you know, bolster their team a couple times, but you know, overall, it, it they can get away with it, and I think other teams are too uh, greedy. And the reality, particularly, I think the reality is if you're if you're anyone that's not the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox, 
the best way to win is to develop prospects and have a really good farm system where you can have a bunch of good players at the same time rather than splashing for a guy at the deadline. I, I just think the trade deadline in general is like a really bad – it's interesting as a fan, but like think about uh, – oh, and I, the one I can't get over is the Chris Archer trade that they made. Oh, they they got they gave up and they got they uh Tampa got Meadows and Glass now. You know oh, I mean? that trade! Oh my god! And he was a good pitcher that season, I remember. But like mm-hmm. he was still pretty disappointed. Like he got there and the Pirates like didn't make it. Like how bad a trade was that? Yeah. Yikes! Yikes! Remember That's when a... the, um, Oakland traded for John Lester and they missed the playoffs. Like, oh, well, they got knocked out in the wildcard game. I mean, that was also the Royals who weren't expected to do anything that season. They went up going to the world, going to game seven of the World Series. Yep. And they very, very nearly could have won it, too, if, if um, either Alex Gordon had been aggressive or Perez didn't swing at a bad pitch. It was a, I mean, you do that under pressure. It's it's just one of the things that happens in sports. But for sure, man, what a what a game that was. Game seven of uh, the 2014 World Series. Oh, yeah, that was a great game. Oh. One of the better ones, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's interesting. We touched on, we talked about Arenado and Flaherty. Those are my two players to watch in this in the Central. I mean, obviously, there's we've talked about uh, we've talked about Bryant and Rizzo and Baez, and uh, we talked a little bit about um, um, who I'm I'm drawing a blank on something. But I wanted to mention Luis Castillo too. Oh yeah, because like crazy. He flies under the radar, I feel like, every single year. I mean, it maybe because he could play for the Reds, but it's, there's something of there's something about his ability to to just produce week in and week out. Mm-hmm. It's just astonishing. Yeah, he's he's one of the better pitchers we have in baseball, man. Yeah. He's that, he, he it's probably because he's in Cincinnati, right? But, yeah, and the Reds yeah. don't get a lot of attention. He's uh I mean He's definitely has some of the best, you know, good velocity, good stuff, everything. Mm. He's he's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Yelich as well. That's that's who I meant to say. We talked about Yelich a little bit. Yeah. The or short season, you know, yeah. made a fool of a lot of players, and I think Yelich was a guy who, you know, mm-hmm. had a couple months span underperformed, but we'll see him back to MVP form maybe in the full season. Yeah. I mean, if you had to, if you had to pick two, two wild card teams out of, the, out of that division right now, who are you taking? You taking St. Louis and Chicago? Well, I think wild card or or, or division and wild card, so two playoff spots. Um. Yeah. So I think that um, for me, it's you know, the for sure St. Louis is the best team in that division. Um. I think it's fifty-fifty between Milwaukee and Chicago. Mm. Uh, Milwaukee's very good as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at those two teams potentially. And, you know, I, I don't think, you know, obviously St. Louis, you know, if they might, I'm looking at them mid the high eighties wins. So I think that those other two teams could potentially challenge them as well. Mm, agreed. I think it's, it's as much of a toss up as any other division in baseball. Mm-hmm. Truly. Um, but again, we, we talked about this a little earlier. If the Cubs aren't, Within striking distance at the deadline, you, you got to think they're going to move Bryant. You yeah. got to think they're going to try to rebuild. Oh, it's it's sad, Owen. It's it's really really sad. Um, I I absolutely think that 
most of their players. You're right. I think they're they're probably gonna, you know, gut those guys. I think they're gonna really gut the core guys. You know, and also, I mean, I will say this. I mean, I don't think they're gonna get rid of him. But if Wilson Contreras ever became available, he's one of the best catchers in the MLB. Oh yeah. Well, he if they really want to get a huge load back, you trade Contreras. Yeah, exactly. Too. I, I, there's just it. We were thinking it after 2016, like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna be consistently dominant for several years, and yeah. haven't haven't really sniffed a pennant since then. Yeah, they've been you know slowly kind of regressing, but um, it's 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 really sad though, and I, I I just like I mention it because I mean we could talk about the team, but more importantly, I just think like we got to remember right like how painful the curse was. Yeah. And this wasn't a team that was, you're right, the Cardinals have been consistent, right? This was not a team that was always good. Not at all. So there's no guarantee, in particular with Theo Epstein there, there's no guarantee that this team is not going to be mediocre for a long time. Mm. And so I just think it's a really sad story. And they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the infrastructure of a great organization, a well-run organization that continues to turn out players. And so I just think, you know, they're lucky they got a World Series. They're lucky they, they, they cashed in, like, on the prize that they got. And they had, you know, special performances from some of the players on their teams. You know, yep. really, yep. really special performances. And uh, those players, you know, Rizzo and Brian have been really down, but they'll never be forgotten. Um, I do just want to mention that, too, two players um, that I think are going to be, I mean, they're really fun to watch. One that's uh, well-known and one that's uh, not as well-known, but still really good. All right, who do you got? Known, he had a bad year last year, but I mean, Keston Hira, he's really mm-hmm. one of the better infielders in our game. Uh, you're actually not going to believe it. Uh, I'm picking a reliever, but Devin Williams is incredible. He is. He had a, a .33 ERA last year. I didn't he give up like? Didn't he give up like one run all season? Yeah, it was like uh, stupid. It was ridiculous. So um, I only mention relievers if they're as good as Devin Williams. <laughs> oh, he's living that double standard, folks. So that double standard. Yeah. You're only if you're a reliever, you only matter if you're good. Apparently. Yeah, really good. Yeah. <laughs> But, oh, that's that's yeah, rough. Josh Hader, Josh Hader doesn't get my love. I mentioned him. Oh, oh boy. Well, we're gonna we're gonna stir the pot with some uh, with some baseball players right in this uh, episode. Woodruff, all these guys, yeah, yeah, Brandon Woodruff. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, yeah. I think those two teams are are going to be really interesting to watch for sure. Yeah, I think the the interesting thing is is pretty much every year. For the last several seasons, it, mm-hmm. the central has been such a toss-up, and that's what makes it interesting to watch. Because I, I feel like it, it almost always comes down to the final day or the final uh, final series with that division. No, for sure. I mean, it's they're one of the better, you know, um, d- divisions to watch. Like you said, man. I mean, rarely does a team like blow blow you out of the water. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I do want to mention one thing real quick, um, because a lot of Cubs fans like to talk about this. 
um, and I know we've mentioned him before on the pod, but I wanted to get your thoughts on Jason Hayward because I think that <laughs> most, most Cubs fans, okay, when they when they got him, sorry, and uh, you know, I think most Cubs fans, I mean, don't like how much money he's making. He's not worth the money, but he's still a really good player. And uh, I just think he's like a really interesting case. Like he's just a really interesting player. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. I've I've talked about Jason Hayward before, uh, both on this show and and to you and to other yeah. other baseball fans uh, privately. But here's my official stance on Jason Hayward. Um, I hate uh, John Hart and John Coppolella for trading him. Uh, and that's all I'll say on that. He's not worth the money that Chicago paid for him on that big contract. Yeah, and that, but, and but I would argue the reason that's not the case is because you take a lifelong Braves fan, someone who grew up a Braves fan, coming up and hitting a home run in his first bat for the Atlanta Braves at home in Atlanta, and trading him and giving his number to goddamn Nick Markakis. Nick Markakis, he of... What was it? Four career postseason hits before this season? Four in his career? Are you are you joking me? Four in his career? So much for being a professional hitter if you get four in your career. Four hits total. He's a disgrace to the Braves. I hope he never plays again for the Braves. I, I don't think they re-signed him this year, and I, I don't I don't want him back. Just go leave my franchise forever. Wow, that's a bold. and it's like he grew up near my he grew up near me too. But it's like he I think he maybe had one. No, I think it was sorry. It was four four hits as a brave in the postseason. Maybe less than that. I don't know. Coming you into know, this season, I I have a soft spot for Mark Hicks actually. Because I'm sorry. Because um, growing up, um, you know, uh, in in uh, New York, upstate New York. You know, um, obviously the Indians were always my favorite team, but I'd watch a lot of Yankees. And like when he was playing for Baltimore, I, I felt like he was like literally like one of the. He's like one of the prominent names I can remember who I always used to watch. Like mm-hmm. on that team, it was Nick, you know, Nick Markakis. And who was uh, the uh, Roberts? What was his first name? Brian uh, Roberts. Brian Roberts? Roberts. Yeah, Brian Roberts. There's JJ Hardy, too. Remember that name? JJ Hardy from Milwaukee. And of course Machado when he was on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Marquez was it was good, man. I remember watching him play. Gave him Hayward's number the season after they traded him, and just, I will never forgive oh, Coppola and Hart for that. What about the clubhouse, he's like the good clubhouse guy, you know. Yeah, I mean, fine, he's a good clubhouse guy, or whatever. But don't give him Jason Hayward's number, like, like have some have some respect for your fan base who like. What drives me insane about the Braves, and we're going to talk about the Braves in a little bit, and that's why I'm wearing, for, for those of you who might see a clip or two from the uh, from the video portion, uh, that's why I'm wearing my Braves jersey today, because we're talking about the National League and the team that's going to break my heart again. Uh, it's just, it's the Braves have a tendency, and, and I'm shocked they re-signed Ozuna. I'm thoroughly shocked they spent that much money for Ozuna, yeah. because it's more than a one-year contract, which to me is just like, huh? You, yeah. you you spend that much money for a star player and you, you keep him for more than one season? What What is that? Could have had Josh Donaldson and Ozuna. Who, who would have thought? 
Um, the Braves are overly frugal and it drives me insane. They didn't even want to think about entering with um, entering negotiations with Hayward when Hayward's uh, contract was about to expire yeah. or his contract was going to run out. Uh, I think, um, I think it was for the 2015 season. He had one year left and the Braves didn't even want to think about going into um, trying to sign him to an extension because they knew he was going to be too expensive. They didn't even try. They didn't say, Hey, like, you know, we, we want to sign you to an extension, but you know, we're trying to be as financially sound as possible. I would just argue though, that, that it's look, it's frustrating as a fan for sure, but just know it's like teams really fail when they sign big money free agents that don't produce. Like that's the losing formula in the MLB right there. You know, and like, how can, how much can you fault them if they like, he's not worth nearly the contract that the Braves give him. I understand your frustration, but like, you know, at least he, they, they have a good valuation in that sense. You know? It's yeah, I, I guess, but my my thing with it is if, if you have a player who had been performing so well in his yeah. in his career for the Braves well, and he's he's the face of your he's one of the faces of your franchise. Free word, free word, yeah. free word, basically Hayward and Freddie Freeman. Um Hayward, Freeman at the time, Simmons, uh Chippers last year, I think was when Hayward was really coming into his own. It, it, and then it's just like it's it's just it's it's so frustrating because what he could have been. I mean, let's look at his years with Atlanta. I'm looking at his numbers right now. So okay. he, he topped out at 82 RBIs in 2012, 158 hits, uh, uh, 27 home runs, and a 269 average. His average is right around right around 260, 270. That uh, those few years, right? His OPS kind of high seven, low 800s, mid 800s at most. But that's not where ultimately where his entire value is. His entire value lies in his ability to be an elite defensive outfielder. Elite defensive outfielder with that, still with decent production. I mean, we're not talking about a horrible, horrible guy at the plate as, you know, he kind of turned into one of those when he left Atlanta. Big shock. But I mean, you're, you're talking about a cornerstone of your franchise for several years. And you don't even think about entering negotiations with him because you you don't think you're going to be able to keep him. But, and know, that to me is uh, the most. I mean, it's you feel the same way about Lindor, I'm sure. And you know, Lindor's a better player, so that that goes to show you how how irate Willie would be, you know, with well, Cleveland. Yeah, I think you know, I agree. It's when you don't even make the effort. It's sad. It's really mm-hmm. sad. Um. I, but see, like, to me, the, here's the difference. And, like, I, I could be wrong. It, it, look, it's really sad and frustrating as a fan when you have a fan favorite, a guy who was so beloved there, who was really good. Um, so it's very frustrating as a fan when you don't bring these great guys back. I just think that the difference to me, and look, I, I could be proven wrong. It's not to say it's a difference um, because it's frustrating as a fan, but I guess as a neutral, to me, it's like, your job as a front office is to project. You have to make, you know, you have to build projections, right? You have to decide not how good. It doesn't matter if he was playing for whatever seven years, right? In the lineup, was really good. It matters how do you think that for the contract, the next team is really good. And I just think the difference is that, uh, you know, Hayward didn't turn out to be 
you know, worth the money. And maybe he's not worth the money, but I don't see a way that Lindor drops to that level. Like Lindor is an elite talent. At the worst, if his average slumps a little bit, he's going to be a gold glove player who hits 30, 40 home runs. So, you know, I think that that's the difference where it's like, um, I guess what I'm saying is it's, is it's, um, to me, it's just like the Braves, in retrospect, you could say we're almost right. Whereas, you know, I get really frustrated as Indians fan because I'm like, this guy is in the prime of his career and I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. So that that's where I, I see just a little bit of a difference. Like, I don't think Hayward, no offense to him, he's not at the level of Lindor. Like, he's not. No, I don't think he is. But it, it's, it's, like you're, it's like we're talking about. It's the lack of wanting to engage in negotiations with the player. Um, I just remember at the time thinking, yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to think about re-signing him because maybe offensively the production isn't there, but he's an elite player and he's one of the heart. He's, he's part of the heart and soul of this team because Chipper Jones retired a year before that. Right. And so you're talking about those, those really great Braves teams of the early two thousands and early into the, the 2010s just completely unrecognizable and the only one who bridged that Braves teams with the ones today was Jason Hayward now I mean obviously now it's Freddie Freeman but at the time it was Jason Hayward and it, it, it's just it's just another punch in the gut when it, this guy is the face of your franchise he's the heart and soul of the team grew up a Braves fan wanted to be with the Braves his whole career and all of a sudden they're just they just give up on it and they traded for Shelby Miller and they they were abysmal which they couldn't score any runs for Shelby Miller and then ended up flipping him for, uh, for Dansby Swanson. That worked out well. So uh, for the most part, I mean, Dansby's still, he, he had a pretty significant base running blunder. He had a big, he had a, well, yeah. Okay. Him and Riley. Yeah. Is whatever. Uh, I mean, it was uh, one play, but yeah, a, yeah, big it was Atlanta choke job. Yeah, Although he did have a good, he, he had a big hit against the Cardinals in 2019. So, you know what, Owen? I will say that's a great point, though. I mean, Atlanta fans are not going to forget forget those plays. No, no, we're not. We're not going to forget 10 runs in the first inning. We're not going to forget Dansby Swanson forgetting how to baseball. We're not going to forget the infield fly rule against St. Louis. We're not going to forget Cody Bellinger hitting a home run off Chris Martin. We're not going to get forget, what, 11 runs in the first inning against the Dodgers. We're not going to forget uh, how how much do you, how long do you want to go with this? <laughs> and then, and then of course, that that's just baseball. Yeah, no. Just baseball. <laughs> Sure. Got two other sports to talk about. Sure. No, I, I you know, uh, Atlanta Braves fans have every right to be sad about those two plays. Episode three of the Peach Pit, the Braves preview. It's coming at you soon, folks. Check it out. We could we could do a Atlanta Braves episode. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna do something for the uh the Peach Pit and we'll we'll have you on and we'll we'll discuss. Sure. We'll discuss right. the Braves in detail because I know back in January you made a very bold prediction. I don't know if you're sticking by it, but you made a bold prediction. The Braves are going to win the World Series. I am. I absolutely am. And you're sticking with it. Hmm? Oh, boy. I am. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Yikes. I mean, He's all in on the Braves. You so have a, You have a believer in me, bro. You have a believer in me. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes one of us. They have all the ingredients. Every, every ingredient's there. They're a very complete team. From their pitching staff to their hitting staff. They have the depth in the lineup and the offensive player power to you know, contend. And I actually see it as you can disagree with me, but 
I actually think the key to me is people are going to talk about their pitching staff, and rightfully so. But uh, I actually think the uh, position players, I, you know, I would mentioned this before, but I just want to see, because I think in today's age, like I mentioned, depth of lineup and just having firepower is so important to just wear down pitchers and take advantage of mistakes. So I want to see, you know, does Dar- like Travis Darno, does he tear it up again? <laughs> like he, he turned into, you know, Marcelo Suna, right? I mean, Dansby Swanson, you know, some of the more, you know, kind of rollish players, uh, you know, I, I want to see if they can, because, you know, you know, you, you know what you're going to get from, from Albies and Acuna and Freeman. Um, so to me, it's just like, if you can hit like they did last season, you have a chance. And let's not forget that they were, I mean, let's just say that people talk about pitching a lot and yes, pitching is very important, but uh, you know, that, that, this style almost got them, uh, you know, world series championship. It really did. So. Yeah. Well, and, almost only counts in, uh, almost only counts in horseshoes. Yeah. Well. It's four, four for 23 in the post in the NLCS against the Dodgers four for 23. That's a really Unforgivable. Four and 23. Bro. Four for 23. It's really bad. It's just, it's, it's, it's like what, who who do I need to, who do I need to like bribe for the Braves to get one break? And also Justin Turner. I'm not gonna forget Justin Turner casually playing soccer and deciding to you know stick his foot in the way and 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 obstruct a play and having no one look at it. Just very blatantly does it, and the commentators just like, oh yeah, Justin Turner totally kicks the ball on purpose there. Wow. No one's gonna talk about that, but it's okay. It's Atlanta. We don't we don't deserve anything nice, right? Because you know it's, we're the heart of the Confederacy during the Civil War, and apparently that's held over my head now. At, at you know twenty six years old in twenty twenty one, and that's held over my head from something from the eighteen hundreds. I digress. <laughs> wow. No, all jokes aside, though, um, I, I think there's there's reason for optimism in Atlanta, but I know way better than to get my hopes up about any team that plays in the state of Georgia. I just know better, and. How many examples do you want me to throw at you from from the Braves to the Falcons to the Bulldogs to the Hawks? It's not even talking about Atlanta United. It's it's just I don't know, man. It's although you talking about pitching is a nice segue into um, uh, a nice segue into our players to watch segment for the NLE. So we've talked about obviously Willie having his prediction for uh, the Braves winning the division. Um, I'm going to go with something that I really hate to say. I'm going to go. With, I hate, I hate saying this. I hate it. I hate it so much. I grew up hating it and I, I still hate it. Well, I didn't hate it maybe as much when I was growing up, but I hate it definitely now. Uh, it's the Mets. The Mets are going to win the division, not the world series. The Mets are going to win the division. Are they? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, Braves are going to regress big time. Yeah. I got, I got a lot. So, all right. Let me just, I have questions about the Mets, man. Like, they're not a complete team. Like, they are loaded. Like, their rotation is ridiculous. First of all, they got to clean some stuff up in their bullpen. Uh, I mean, they don't have to, but when to get through the regular season, it would help. Uh, and then, to me, Owen, the biggest question, and, like, I'm always skeptical about it, is, like, I, I mentioned it before, but their role players have got to produce. You know, they do. Like, Assuming Pete Alonso gets back to good form, which was not last year, like, you, here's the thing: like, do you really trust 
they have good role players, but do you really trust, you know, Dom Smith, Nemo, uh, Conforto, uh, James McCann, uh, you know, all their other guys to, you know, like play like a championship level? Like to me, they've got to significantly improve, like for them to really put the scare on another team. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I think the the thing that puts it over the top for me with the Mets is is that pitching staff, coupled with the fact that you have yeah. an owner now who is is going to go all in, whatever it takes to win a World Series. Uh, that's not something that you see out of the Braves, and it drives me insane because the talent is there. It's being aggressive and going out and making a move and spending big and maybe operating at a slight loss, maybe a little bit, but then knowing you'll make up for it. If your team can actually win the world series, which the Braves really could have done last season. If Snitker didn't leave Chris Martin in the game, or he went to Chris Martin on like three days in a row or whatever, however, whatever caused Chris Martin to throw 95 right down in the middle of Cody Bellinger, whatever caused that, that nonsense. Um, but it, what's that? Yeah. Uh, the other part of it, and this is something that I don't think it doesn't get maybe mentioned as much, but with Atlanta in 2018, when they won the division, um, and this is not just me being a pessimistic Braves fan or pessimistic Atlanta sports fan. This is me in 2018 when the Braves won the division genuinely thinking we don't belong here. We don't, we didn't, how did we win this division? Is this because everyone else around us crumbled and we just happened to be there? I mean, it was Acuna's first year. I think it was Albie's first full year. Um, and it, th- th- you, there was just no sign of, of it being a good team. I think Sean Newcomb was still in the rotation for, for 2018. And it, it, there was, there was nothing that told you this team is complete. And the lineup is good enough to win, and the bullpen's good enough to win, and the rotation's good enough to win. But lo and behold, they won the division that year. So I don't think it's a stretch to say the Mets can kind of piece it together throughout the whole season just based on their talent alone. Uh, and and the difference is in 2018, the Braves didn't have it really didn't have a bullpen. I mean, Luke Jackson was pitching a yeah. lot in 2018, and that that drove me insane because he shouldn't ever be pitching for the Braves. Um, in in a meaningful game, it, it's just like it's. I I don't know how else to say it, but it's just it, I I just don't have a good feeling about the Braves this year because because I think they've the three divisions in a row uh, in the face of the Mets getting bought by big money, the Phillies signing Bryce Harper, uh, the Nats winning the World Series. It's just like everything is set up for you know this being the Braves' time. Everything is set up for them to just fall straight on their face. Wow. That's uh, a really big statement, but you know, and what I would counter to that and say is like they should get a buffer from their pitching staff. You know, like if Ian Anderson turns into the top prospect he was, you're going to get Soroka back. You know, and they had a couple other, you know, a couple other good pitchers on the staff. You know, Matzik pitched really well in the bullpen. Um, mm. So that could, I think, give him a cushion like that right there, you know? Yeah, I mean, Matzik was good. Minter was good. Melanson was really good. I kind of bummed we didn't re-sign him. 
Um, Shane Green, happy to, not happy to see him go, but he wasn't great for the Braves. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Um, signing Charlie Morton, I think, is going to be helpful, but maybe not maybe not putting the team over the top. Because, I mean, how old is he? Like 30, 36? Uh, he's... Uh... He's 35. 35, 30. Yeah, he's he's on the wrong side of 30 and pretty significantly. Um, it's just, it's, there's, I don't know, because it, it has the the promise for a really, really great season when you have Soroka's back, like you're saying, Soroka's back from injury, Anderson coming into his own, uh, Max Freed, who was the de facto ace all season yeah. as your number three guy or, or number two guy. Uh, and then, uh, and then um, Kyle Wright at number four, who does, may not even have to pitch in a postseason series, uh, start in a postseason series, which I think was a little too much for yes. him to to go in because the Dodgers. I mean, he's got the stuff to be a good starter, you know, top, you know, top three guy maybe, but it just wasn't there. And then Bryce Wilson, Bryce Wilson had an incredible start against the Dodgers. That thoroughly impressed me. Awesome! Uh, wow, yeah, that was that was incredible. Um, but but let me tell you something, Willie. So Austin Riley. In uh, what was it game one? I think uh, had the uh, the go ahead home run. I think in like the eighth or ninth inning, okay. and that was the first time since 2012. I think no, one of the first. I mean, it's one of the only times in my lifetime I can remember as a Braves fan thinking like this could be something really special. And that's the part that always kills you. I mean, I don't know if you remember when we had Harrison on the show. It's just that it's it's the it's the idea of hope that kills you. Yeah, the cautious hope. Yeah, it's it's. I remember just being so so happy when Riley hit that home run because you're thinking, okay, you know, this was a prime opportunity for the Braves to blow again, to completely choke, and someone comes up with a big clutch hit late in the game. I mean, that's something I'm not used to seeing as an Atlanta fan. So it's just like it's. On one hand, if I don't get my hopes up and they're bad and I say they're going to be bad, then obviously you have to watch a bad team. But if I get my hopes up and they're good, but then they end up playing bad, that means it's just heartbreak with no trophy on the end of it, you know? So yeah, it's easy, man. They, they draw you in just enough. To, they do. Uh, break your heart a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, I, what I will say, though, with Mike Soroka as well, is as, I'm, as excited as I am to see him back, hopefully healthy for the full, for the full season, uh, he really only has one full season under his belt. It was 2019. It was an incredible season. Um, but 2018 was his rookie year. He was injured last season. And it was 2019, but he had a brilliant year as an all-star and pitched really well all season. But it's just like, can can he reproduce that? I don't know. No, it's a, it's a fair question. I mean, injuries are the best ability, abilities availability, you know? And there's no guarantee that you can, you know, mm. particularly with the uh, he throws like a good curveball. You know, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, um, he's got a heavy sinker, heavy changeup, mixing a curveball. I think he said he was he was working on one other pitch before he got hurt. Um, I'm not sure. But we'll we'll have to see. I'm I'm excited to see a full another full season of Mike Soroka. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed he can stay healthy. Yeah. But uh, I don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Uh, another player I want to talk about is uh, a, a player we've we've briefly mentioned before, uh, Marcelo Zuna. Yeah. Okay. So Ozuna was one of the best players in baseball last year, well, best yeah. hitters anyway. Yeah, hitters. And 
he he showed that when he's hot, he's an elite offensive player. The yeah. problem is, the problem is he's streaky. So yeah. last year in the postseason, it took him a little bit to get going. He was pretty quiet against the Reds and a little quiet against the Marlins. But once he got hot, watch out. I mean, he he played he he played some really good stuff when he got hot, and that's the thing that yes. kind of worries me is that obviously this is a longer season, and yes. can he sustain that for a full 162 games for a team that has World Series aspirations? You know, I don't know because his statistically. The average does not look great. Not not his batting average, but his average strikeouts per season. Uh, he's right there at 145. And he's a free swinger. You know, he's a really free swinger. Yeah, so he's a streaky hitter. But when he's on, he's one of the best. And I'm excited they re-signed him. I'm excited the Braves have him back for another couple seasons. But it's I'm just I'm just concerned he won't be able to 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 keep it up for a full 60, 162 games. So. You know, we'll we'll see how it pans out, but he's definitely one to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, on um, last season was, um, at least statistically, like it was his best season, um, and it was pretty, I would say, by a significant margin. And so I would agree that he's a player to watch. Uh, you know, when you think about his, you know, he he had some. High power seasons, but uh, in in St. Louis in particular, after he came over there. But um, I mean, last year his OPS was in one point something. Like it was really ridiculously high too. You know, yeah. so like I would agree on that. That's a guy you're looking at. Like that's definitely a candidate of a guy who could really drop off for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's my concern definitely with Ozuna. Yeah. Talking about a guy who's an elite offensive player who kind of dropped off a little bit and has dropped off the last couple of years, but right. you got to keep your eye on him this season. It's Bryce Harper. Mm. You got to watch out for Bryce Harper this year because yeah. for someone with a career 900 OPS, uh, he hasn't had anything above that since 2018. Yeah. And before that, I mean, I think it was even back to before. 2015 was the last time he had. I think it was 2017. He had another high OPS, but it, it's it's kind of like an up and down thing for for Harper. Like he'll have he'll have really really good stretches, then he'll have really really bad stretches, then he'll have really really good stretches, and then really really bad stretches. He just it's not consistent enough, and it hasn't been since he won the MVP a couple of years ago, uh, six at this point, I think. No, I, well, I'll, I'll say this. I think that last year um, was actually pretty good. Like he had a really good, um, and people were kind of talking about this. I, I you know. I read some previews and, you know, like Bryce Harper actually had a pretty good season last year. You know, it was one of his higher, you know, on base percentages and everything. But, but I would agree. I, I particularly think there was a stretch toward, um, particularly when he first got to Philadelphia where he just did not look like the same player. Yeah. You now his fielding has really declined. And um, I would say that for him, the key is being a high on base guy. Because I think that the power is going to be there with Harper. It's just a matter of like what will make him really good again is if you can couple that with with being taking walks and being on base. That that that's what will power him. But I think that you know 
first of all, I'll just say I'm just, I'll just acknowledge this already. Like Bryce Harper is not the MVP guy. No, he's not. So like I think that if you think that he's going to be that guy, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I think that, but you know, if I do think that there is, you know, he could still be a good player. But I, do, I mean, man, it was looking really bad for a couple of years there. So mm. I'm glad he, you know, he's yeah. interesting. Like, I gotta tell you, man, when I think about his career, I'm not really sure what to make of his career. Like, I'm really not because he was one of the most hyped up prospects ever. Mm-hmm. I remember watching his debut at Dodger Stadium. I wasn't there on right. TV with Washington. And he had a very short peak, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like it was like four, five years max with Washington. Literally. And then he just came to Philly and kind of dropped off. So to be honest with you, he's had a very good career. This shit is very hard. But I think from a fan perspective, I think he's kind of had a disappointing career, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, it's factor in the expectations that people had. Yeah, that's true. And it's tough because he's still really young. I mean, he's I don't think he's even he's what, 26, 27. He's he's no, he's a little older than us. He's not. Yeah, so he's, you know, I I don't I don't think there's there's a lot of. um you know, I don't think we can say anything definitively about his career yet. Um, that that said, if he can if he can win MVP or play like an MVP in Philadelphia this coming season, then I think he puts all that to rest. I think he's he's kind of reasserts himself as a dominant player in baseball. But no, I I, I do agree though. I do agree. He's it's 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 I don't know what to make of it. I think it, a lot of it has been overhyped. Um, but that's not to say the potential's not there. No, the potential certainly there, but I just think, truthfully, I mentioned the OBP because on base or OPS because uh, if you outside of the home runs he hits, you know he's hitting the 30, 40 home runs a season. Sometimes it's just not that much else there. Yeah, so, that's true. You know. Yep. Very true. Very true. Sure, but he's got a lot of time. For, for yeah, of course. I mean, he's twenty eight years old. I, no one's no one's closing the book on Bryce Harper just yet. Hmm. Uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about two pitchers. Um, one has an established is is more of an established player than the other um, in baseball. And we've we've briefly mentioned one of these two, but we'll start with Noah Syndergaard. I want everyone to be very wow. very cautious of what they see out of Noah, or not cautious, but keep an eye on Noah Syndergaard this year because yeah. because we're talking about a full season with both Jacob Degrom and Marcus Stroman healthy. And ready to go, yeah. And you're talking about someone who's been really battling injuries for how like the last three, four seasons now. Yeah, maybe maybe a little less than that. Actually, ever since the World Series run, I feel like pretty much, yeah. I mean, he's been in and out of in and out of the treatment room, just all kinds of of surgeries and whatnot. But the thing the thing with Syndergaard that I want to I want to mention is statistically, yeah, he he's he's impressive. But when you when you watch him pitch. It's the it's the stuff that catches your eye. He definitely passes the eye test from pure just stuff perspective, with a ridiculous fastball, changeup that falls off the table, and that that outrageous slider. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't been healthy. Now he doesn't have to be the second fiddle to Degrom. 
I mean, he doesn't have to, you know, be the guy who, when DeGrom goes out and gives you six, seven strong innings, the next day backs it up with six or seven strong of his own. Because he doesn't have to force himself to be that guy because Marcus Stroman's there. And Stroman's one of the top pitchers in baseball. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a situation where a lot of the pressure on a very highly touted pitcher is taken way off his shoulders. I mean, yeah, the expectation is still there. It's New York. It's the Mets. Steve Cohen spending all this money trying to get the Mets to win a World Series. But with a deeper rotation for the Mets this season, I think it helps Syndergaard a lot more than people are getting credit for. And I think he's going to fly, not under the radar, because, I mean, he's, he's Noah Syndergaard. Dude looks like Thor. So he's not going to fly under the radar, but I don't, think, I don't think he's getting the attention that maybe... Maybe he might be otherwise. I mean, who knows? He could be he could be horrendous this year and get traded to someone else. But yeah. I, I just think I just think the the circumstances are now much more favorable for him than ever to yeah. reassert himself as one of the, you know, as as a really, really solid pitcher in baseball. You know what I I gotta say, it's interesting, you know. You're right. Um he's one to watch. His stuff is so good. Uh and he's great fun. Big personality. Uh, he's not a really fun player to watch. Um, but with him, he's definitely a big swell card. I mean, because even then, you know, I I can't remember when exactly it's been, but I, I remember, you know, even when he was pitching and he was healthy, um, he, he still wasn't that kind of Cy Young form he was back six, five, six years ago. Like, he wasn't himself. Right. So, yeah, I, I think there's – maybe room for cautious optimism, but I mean, I wouldn't expect the old center guard that was peak center guard to be there. No, uh, it can, but it would help. I mean, right. a big boost for them. No, definitely. I think, I think a lot of the issue with center guard the last couple of years specifically is the fact that I think a lot of his focus, and I think he's even been pretty vocal about this is just trying to throw as hard as possible. It's kind of like the Bryson DeChambeau of, of baseball, yeah. just trying to throw as hard as he can. And the issue with that is, you know, it, it's pitching is such a violent motion that it may not look like it, but there's a lot you have to do. And it puts a lot of strain on the elbow and the shoulder. And if you're trying to get bigger and stronger and throw harder and harder, one of those is going to give eventually just because the human body is not capable of withstanding that for as, as long as they are. If they were, then pitchers would throw two, 300 pitches yeah. a night. Yeah, I mean, no, it's. it's his stuff is put straight in his elbow. Exactly. So that I, might be something that plays into it for sure. I'll, I'll mention this too. I actually want to throw this one out there. It'd be hard to nitpick, but I actually think one thing I want to mention with the Mets, which I think is really interesting, right? So, because um, I, first of all, I love watching the Mets. I've watched a decent amount of Mets in the past, and uh, I love their broadcast. I think maybe the up there with the best broadcast for MLB teams. Um, so you look at the rotation, you know, and you've got DeGrom, you've got Stroman, you've got Carrasco, and Syndergaard. I actually think that um, they have made some really under-the-radar moves in the bad direction that I think could potentially cost them. Because when you're talking about going against, you know, the Padres and the Dodgers who have elite pitching, and, you know, I, I think that so they – they let Zach Wheeler go. Uh, mm. Well, they didn't re-sign Zach Wheeler a couple seasons ago. He's turned into a really, really good pitcher for Philadelphia. They also traded Steven Matz, who, say what you want about him, but he was a very consistently 
like solid player as like a three, four, five pitcher in your rotation. Yep. yep. So I think that they're taking a huge gamble that Syndergaard is going to give you because those two guys were very consistent and good. So I think that that was a couple interesting things to point out. Yeah. I mean, it, it took Wheeler a little bit to get to kind of come into his own and, and establish himself, yeah, if you will. But I will mention this. Yeah. He's returned into that in Philadelphia. But even then, he was still a solid, like, consistent piece at the back end of the rotation the Mets had. Yes. And Syndergaard, you just don't know what you're going to get from him. You like, you don't. So I, I think sometimes, like, that's just what you need in those back end of the rotation guys. So. No, no, you're absolutely right. I, I definitely agree. There's, there's a little bit of uncertainty with, um, with Syndergaard, and yes. that can be concerning for, for the Mets for sure. Yeah, um, it'd just be really funny if, um, if uh, somehow Zach Wheeler finds his way back to the Braves. Um, you know, growing up a Braves fan, so yeah, just, just throwing that out there. Why was he a Braves fan? He grew up in Atlanta. Did he? Yeah. Oh. Born and raised in uh, Atlanta. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I so. didn't, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a nice story. It's really yeah. Nice. Right. Uh, but not to make this po- podcast too Atlanta focused. The last player I want to highlight in the NL East, and then we'll uh, we'll kind of wrap up this part of uh, the preview, if you will. Yeah. Uh, is Ian Anderson? He's oh. uh, my second favorite person named Ian, uh, after after the brother, of course. Duh. Um. <laughs> With with Anderson, here's my thinking. So what we saw last season when he first came up was unbelievable. Getting his first two wins at Fenway Park and Yankee Stadium. Yes, you know, empty Fenway and empty New York, but these are still, you know, two of the most hallowed grounds in all of baseball, all of North American sports, really. And to go in there and perform the way he did, and to, to perform the way he did last season just across the board up until games what was it game six of the world series of the nlcs uh uh or game seven i'm sorry seven it was seven yeah Yeah. um game seven of the nlcs there's a lot to be excited about and yeah you know so far in spring training he's shown that he's he's still still the same pitcher whatever throw out don't ever mention anything about spring training no i'm not i'm not saying it's it's important but it's just just to see positive signs i'm not even i'm not caring about the the stats necessarily but just just what what does the stuff look like at this point in the season okay yeah um is is there any sort of snap to breaking balls are the change-ups doing what they're supposed to or they're not hanging out over the middle of the plate um do fastballs are they able to command fastballs and, and whatnot it's it's not looking at the stats at all it's not looking at results it's just looking at how does it you know it's the eye test does it pass the eye test at yeah, this point yeah. of the season yeah. and it's not really important but what i'm saying is there's there's not enough data to definitively say that you know he's going to be good this season or to, to make a strong case as to why it's more so just a feel thing and i just feel like it it could really it's it's really it could go one way or the other. And that's what kind of bothers me as a Braves fan is that I, we just don't know. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, he's, let me ask you this question, Owen. Um, do you think that uh, he's going to be like a top Cy Young candidate in the future? Do you think he really is that good? I think he's got potential, but. 
I, I don't know. It's it's living up to it, which is another thing. Yeah, no, it is living up to it. That's for sure. But uh, okay, yeah, no, that's um. I, I got to tell you, he's he's definitely one of the more fun, you know, young pitchers in the game to watch. For yeah, sure. and he made them a whole different team. He's yeah, pitching really well. Yeah, he he came up because the the pitching staff was uh was kind of a shambles to start the season, especially with yeah, with Soroka really going down early. But then kind of pieced it together with um with Max Freed, a little bit of Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, uh, and then the bullpen, and kind of pieced it together bit by bit and, and made it as far as they did. Yeah, no, I mean he he changed their team and. It's good that he seems to kind of adjust right away and almost live up to the hype. You never know how those top guys are. I mean, he was, well, I mean, gosh, one of the best young pitchers, not only prospect in the Braves organization, but in all of baseball. Yep. So, I mean, it was great to see him perform so well, you know? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I don't think there's enough on him yet to definitively say, to make a case for one, one or the other, but I'm just... I'm going to keep my eye especially on him just because it's his first full season and given the way he pitched last year, it's having that in the back of your head can be good, but it can also be really bad okay. because it can be like an expectation that you expect that out of yourself. And, and you know, it's, I think it's pretty easy, especially at the highest level to kind of get down on yourself for not performing up to a certain standard. On the other hand, it could be a really good thing because, you know, it's like, okay, I've done this before. I know what I'm doing, you know? Is it going to be the exact same results wise? No, but the performances and the, the mentality and the process are all the same. So no, for sure. It just depends on, on, on how, how the Braves approach that really. If, if they try to cap his innings early on in the season to keep him fresh for, you know, later in the season, or if they just try to get him as many innings as possible and, and let him really, you know, get a feel for the big leagues, you know, in earnest. Yeah. I think that's the better approach. You know, I think that's definitely the better approach, but we'll see how they handle him. I mean, they, they should, but at the same time, if they want to win the World Series, he's going to have to be a huge part of it. Yes, absolutely. And so I think what you're implying is that... Actually, go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean No, I was just going to say, I was going to say, um, you're implying that he is going to be a big part of it because you're saying the Braves are going to win the World, win the I, World Series. That's right. I am. Um, also, sorry, another, what were you going to say? Ask, no, I was going to ask. Um, I love going over like, in any sport, like hypothetical trades, I think it's really funny. So I'm wondering, do you think that the Braves are in the market for a starter, maybe at the trade deadline? Maybe the I'd like them to be in the market for a closer, or just any reliever. <laughs> Devin Williams, what? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, no, they're not going to get Devin Williams. It's, it's it, Brewers are not going to trade him for anything less than like three top prospects. Okay. Um. No, I. I just I. I would like them to to go get another because you can't have too much pitching in the bullpen, especially. Um, you no. just can't. But so. I think also, as we've seen, starters are so valuable because in the postseason they can just go pitch there if you need them to. That's true. They are. They are, and that's that's also that's equally important. I think your closer, um, be your middle relief, like whatever you want to do. You that's know? true. That's true. But but realistically, I mean, how many starters are there on the market at the moment? Or uh, how many? How many would well, be on the market hypothetically? The reality is that uh, they always become available to trade them one. True, yeah. true, true, true. I mean, you floated Kyle Hendricks, oh. but I think his his value is a little too steep for what the Braves would would give up at the deadline, even if they are you know on par with the Dodgers or, or have a shot to have um, the best record in the National League. 
uh, or just are fighting to st- fighting for a playoff spot and need extra extra help. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. Sometimes uh, I know I mentioned I, I don't like it, right? But uh, we'll see. I mean, it'd be interesting to uh, yeah. find out because that's definitely the pitching is what could hold them back for sure. Yeah, I, that's that's always my concern with Atlanta, and also I, I think another bat that won't hurt just in case you know Darno decides to go into witness protection program again. Oh yeah. Okay. him and, uh, yeah, and oh, Riley oh, and I thought you were going to throw it in him oh okay yeah no I mean Darno bro he's like he just was unbelievable but he, that was not the player we saw at the Mets yeah. so I don't know what the uh, you know F happened <laughs> it was crazy um, yeah. oh and I do want to mention something about the NL East real quick I know yeah. it's over time but I do want to mention there's a lot I'm going to save one of my things for because I have a couple hot takes. One relates to baseball. Yeah, so I'm going to save one of them. But I do, I do think we'd be remiss to uh, not mention both quickly the Nationals and Juan Soto. Do you think that the Nationals have another run in them, or is their window closed? And do you think Juan Soto is literally as good as everyone thinks he is? Do I have to answer this question? This is like this is my literally my least favorite question. Okay, it's well, anything yeah. to do with the Nats. We do, we do have to answer it. I think if if they have any sort of window whatsoever, it's this season, this coming season. It yeah. has to be this season. Mm-hmm. I agree because Strasburg and Scherzer are not getting any younger. No, and they piece together that bullpen somehow. Somehow, yeah. In in 2019, um, they go. They went from having statistically the worst bullpen in baseball to winning the World Series, which is <laughs> still unfathomable. I can't. I can't understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, stranger things have happened, and it, it's just one of those things where if if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think Soto is as good as everyone else says he is. Like he the, he's the real deal. There's yeah, no ifs ands or buts about it. I mean. He's yeah, he's just he's incredible. unbelievable. I wish he was a Braves player. I wish he played for the Braves, but he, he's, he, he might be number one in terms of players to watch. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I mean, we haven't even talked about him a lot, but that's my anti anti Mets, anti Marlins, anti Nats, anti Phillies bias. Okay, yeah, no, I, for sure. I mean, he's he's the real deal, man. He's twenty two. So. Yeah, I mean, really, what we're getting at with these is is some of these are players that you may not be watching all that closely because your focus is on guys like Juan Soto and, you know, yep. Blake Snell. And, and we talked about Tatis, but, um, and then of, of course there's a handful of players in the, in the American league that we're going to get to next week. But I got to say, Willie, I'm, I'm very excited for this baseball season. Very, very excited. For sure. Um, and you know, yeah, you love baseball and uh, just as a baseball fan, not, not necessarily as a Braves fan, just as a baseball fan. Yeah, man. And uh, you love baseball, and and you know during the uh, still these pandemic times, right? I mean, it's going to give you more opportunities to watch. You know. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. So, yeah. uh, any last thoughts on the analyst before we uh, kind of wrap it up? Yeah, I, I will say this real quick. Um, I do just want to say that I really think this thing is not crazy, but. I really do think that um, the I hate to bring them up again, Owen, but I really do think that 
as I was just going to talk about, I just want to say I really do think that the Nationals have a run left in them. So I, you know, I, we'll, we'll keep them, keep an eye out for them. I, I really do. Mm. They know it. Yeah. Scherzer knows it. Scherzer knows it. You know, Victor Robles and Carter Kilburn, uh, they can elevate their games. I mean, I just think that if you remember 2019, they were one of the worst teams in baseball the, the first two months of the season. There's no reason they can't. They lost Rendon, but there's no reason that they, you know, can't be really, really good again. So. Yeah. As much as I hate to admit it, I, I think that's that sounds about right. Yep. As much as I don't like the Nats, that's, that yeah. sounds right. Hmm? That sounds right. That's all I got to say. For sure. Um, so the National League, I think, is a lot more... I don't know. There's we have a, a better idea of what's going to happen. I think the American league is just a giant question mark for me personally. Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen. It's, wide it's as wide open as they come this year, especially yeah. with things that have happened in the off season with Bauer going to uh, the Dodgers yeah. instead kind of, you know, further cementing their status. Um, and just the way things have kind of panned out the last couple seasons, it, it seems like the American league is always going to be a toss up. Of course, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it um, in next week's episode. But, uh, before we, before we talk any, you know, maybe even foreshadow American league stuff. Um, I gotta say like, there's, there's some baseball seasons where you go into it thinking, yeah, this is probably going to happen. And then it happens. But honestly, I have no idea what to expect this season. None. I mean, yes, the headlines are all Dodgers, Padres, uh, Blue Jays, and you know, the Mets, Steve Cohen. Hmm. But outside of that, like what? I don't know what's going to happen. Do you? <laughs> no, no one does. But I think I think one of the things that makes baseball season so interesting is, and I'll get to this a little bit in my hot take, so I'm not going to spoil anything. But I, I think that when you really try to, the best way you can predict baseball seasons, you can you can try to look at teams that you think are going to uh, bloom, you know, that are under the radar. So um, I think that that's where typically the surprises happen is you over under look teams. And yeah. So I think that there's some teams that could for sure, you know, do that. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that makes baseball so great is because who knows it's 162 games of, of the same thing. And, so um, we'll see. I got to tell you, man, uh, I mean, every sport, I mean, people would buy, I think, I think for, for uh, regular season sports, I think September baseball is just great. Oh, it's just, plus, you have September call ups too, and the expanded oh, yeah. rosters, but and they it's like you, drunk them now. You know, yeah, so. yeah, because Rob Manfred has a has an agenda. He wants to make baseball boring. Like, so he's yeah, he's not he's he's, he's awful. Uh, it's time for hot takes, folks. Uh, yeah. You know, we wouldn't be who we are. We wouldn't be hot takes only if we did not have a hot take segment even in a preview for something that's exclusively baseball. Um, I didn't really have a hot take going into this episode. I've kind of had to think of like, what is, what is my take on, on the national league or just baseball in general this season? And uh, I think I just came up with a pretty good one. So between the five teams we've kind of highlighted or talked about as, you know, potential for winning the national league, San Diego, LA, St. Louis, Mets, and the Braves of those five teams. Yeah. At least two miss the playoffs. Mm. At least two of those teams are going to miss the playoffs. Okay. 
Well, hold on. Well, two have to, right? Because only four teams can uh, make. Well, no, only one. Oh, okay. Wow. No, no. These these, these would theoretically be five teams in the playoffs. Oh, wait, say those five teams again. Uh, L.A., San Diego, okay. yeah. St. Louis, mm-hmm. Atlanta, and New York. Okay. Wow. Two of them are going to miss the playoffs. Interesting. Two. That's a huge. Mm-hmm. Wow. Any idea about what teams or are you just going to say um, or pick which two alternatively that you want to miss the want to miss the playoffs? I'm going to say it right now. Uh, the Braves are going to miss the playoffs. Wow. Should they make the wild card game or no. they miss it? No. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Altogether, it's going to be a combination of injuries, implosions, choking, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Just because the expectations are so high and and the hype is there, the hype is net. It should never be there for Atlanta, but it's there this season. So, wow, that's uh, that's huge, Owen. Man, okay. So, and then who's the other team that's going to miss it then? If Atlanta's one, I'm going to say the Mets. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I mean, because because. I mean, how many times has it happened where the team that gets the most attention in the offseason is the one that ends up playing the worst? I mean, I mean, sure. I mean, the other three teams in the NL East, the the Phillies, the Nats, and the Marlins, all of them are good enough to be playoff teams. Yeah. Especially if the Mets and the Braves, you know, capitulate completely. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a strong chance they do. Um, sure. Now, this is obviously our hot take segment, and I have to come up with something that's so absurd that you know, it's it's just it's like what what is going on here? Yeah. Um, something that even Colin Coward and Skip Bayless would go, what? <laughs> but that's the nature of the show. So yeah. that's I'll tell you what, Owen, I think it's like it's interesting. Always in sports, it's like you should never pick the chalk. Like it never happens that like every single team that's supposed to like win does. So yeah, I, exactly. You know, you're absolutely right. Any under the radar teams you think? Uh, I mean, I, any any under the radar teams to watch? And team you want to pick a surprise team maybe across or? the National League? Uh sure, yeah. National God, League. I'd say. I mean, they're not really under the radar, but the Brewers. Okay. I mean, yeah. last year was kind of another blip on the radar, but like twenty, what was it? Twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen? They they came within a game of the World Series. Yeah, wow. Okay. So 2019, I think it was. Okay. Yeah, no, they uh it was uh twenty or was it twenty eighteen? It was eighteen. Twenty eighteen, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So wow, that's uh I mean, yeah, they're I mean they're really, really good. I, I guess. Yeah. So stranger things have happened. Look, but yours are really consistently good. So yeah. totally since see. since Craig Council got hired as manager, they've oh, been yeah. they've been consistent yeah, pretty I much mean, every year. You no, know, well run organization. Yeah. So, yep. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Well, I had to I had to dig deep for that hot take, so that's all I got. No problem. All right, I got two. Unless anything more you want to say? No, I've all yours. The floor what, is yours. One is uh, baseball, and one is golf. Oh boy. Okay. Sneaking a golf take in there. I like yeah. it. And also, I'll, I'll save. I have some March Madness stuff, but I'm going to save it for a later show once it starts. Um. So the first one for baseball is um. I think that so they're not going to make it, but I think that the second wild card team is going to be the Marlins again. Really? They're going to come through. Uh, Atlanta is going to win the division, and that the Marlins are going to finish second. 
you know, over the Mets and lose to San Diego in the wild card game. That's my prediction. Oh. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people were skeptical because it was a short season. They had a really bad run differential, but they've got some really good pitchers on that team. And they just have the spirit. They have a really good spirit. And so I think it's a pretty bold thing to say over a full 162 games, the Marlins like doing it, but they're, they're my under the radar team. That's gonna, that's gonna do it. I went, I guess, I don't know how under the radar you want to call them, but I, I believe in them over 162 game season and no. you look at their roster of position players. They have nothing all that great. So I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, I just like the collective unit they got. Yeah, like they had that uh, that slogan that a reporter used kind of to slander them, and they they turned it around and used it as their like their their mo for the season is their the bottom feeders. Mm-hmm. And they ended up, uh, I think it was like a Phillies reporter, and they ended up uh, turning that into their their thing when they they won a uh, it won what was a slogan playoff series. Uh, bo- it was like bottom feeders or something like that. Oh, bottom feeders. Yeah, wow. uh, but it was really funny, and honestly, I can I can kind of see it because. Like they when when you have a team that plays so loose and free, like they have literally nothing to lose. It it frees them up to play well. Now obviously quality is the one thing that's gonna be the difference maker, but God, that's it's it's not a horrible shout. No, I mean they they do play fast and loose. And I'll say this. They have a good organization with a lot of young talent like coming through. So I'm sure that Mm -hmm. there's gonna be players this season that we don't know about that are gonna do well and then I said, you know, Daniel Contra, Pablo Lopez, and you mentioned before, you know, Sixto Sanchez, so good. So they they have the rotation for sure to contend with anyone. So definitely, I, I I just think when you have that fast and loose spirit up and down the lineup, if Starling Marte can you know play like an all star again, then man, I think they I think they're gonna do it. So that that's my, that's my one, and I'm predicting wow. before the season before they played again. So all right. Here's That's my, ballsy. Here's my other hot take. So I think this is very ballsy, and I could be very well be made to look a fool, but it's okay. So I've been thinking a lot about golf and parody, and you know I've been thinking a lot about Jordan Spieth, and you know he's been playing so well recently, but he bears the resemblance so much to another player in his style, you know, and that's Colin Morikawa. And I think my prediction is that at some point in his career. Colin Morikawa is going to have a couple-year stretch like Spieth did, where he just completely loses his game. Wow. And and what he's done at his young age is incredible. I mean, he's – I think he's – him and – I could be wrong about this, but him and Tiger might be the only players – or there's only a few that have won a WGC and a major uh, 25 or younger. Um, maybe I'm off – but anyways, he, what he's been doing is surreal. Yeah. Um. But I'm talking, my prediction is they're going to be a huge drop-off slump in his game where he's going to completely mm. lose his game. Like, I'm not talking about not winning, like, he's completely lose his game. And the, reason wow. is, and the reason is because, oh, and his game reminds me so much of Jordan Speed. And I love Morikawa. Like, he's so smart, brilliant, very nice person. Obviously, like, one of, but just like Jordan Spieth, I mean, one of the best college golfers that's ever done it. I mean, Morikawa, four years. But to me, his margin for error is so slim on the course. And the reason is because, just like Jordan Spieth, you know, Morikawa is drawing comparisons to all, all the great players because of his iron play. 
You know, he's number mm. one in stroke skinned approach. And his, his just swing is just so smooth. But he's not great in any other part of his game. He has a big weakness with his putting, even though people talked about he changed the stroke. And the reality is, I hate to say it, but you can still win. But when you talk about margin for error, you give yourself less margin for error when you don't hit long. And so he doesn't hit long by any means. And so if he ever loses his iron game, he doesn't have much there. He had, Now he has great intangibles, like fantastic intangibles, but Jordan Spieth has some of the best intangibles, you know, too, and he lost his game completely. Uh, and so that is my prediction. I think that Morikawa is going to, at some point, lose his game completely. And uh, he'll come back, but he'll have a really bad slump. Well, okay, so the reason I'm not going to entirely disagree with you is because of the one phrase that I drop on this show all the time. Golf is hard. Yeah. Golf is really, really hard, which makes, yeah. which means we need to appreciate what Tiger has done for the sport even more because he was so good for so long. Golf is really, really hard. He made it look so easy. Um, it's not unheard of for players to go through stretches where they, they do really well at a really young age. Yep. And then they, they kind of fall off, but then they come back later in their career. I mean, you think of Henrik Stenson. Henrik Stenson in 2009, I think. I think he, did he win the players? Um, Henrik Stenson, yeah, he did. I think he got up to number three in the world at one point. I think he had won the players yeah, as well. He fell off after that. He just, oh. Exactly, exactly. And so, um, let me double check. Yeah, he won the players in 2009. And then completely just dropped off the face of the earth mm -hmm. until 2013. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, it's not a long stretch. It's, I mean, it's four years, which, you know, but he, he basically redid his entire swing and his entire game. And he ended up winning the tour championship that year. And then a few years later, he won the open. So, you know, there's, there's this, I don't know. There's, there's a thing in golf. That's like, it's, it's sustaining success is just, so hard to do uh at that level and especially with the fields as deep as they are now um it, it's it's not impossible what i will say though is that i don't necessarily agree that there's less of a margin for error because with with morikawa with his game specifically it's built on one of the most important things in golf which is the iron game which is the approach game mm -hmm. If you are a good iron player on tour, more likely than not, you can kind of still piece rounds together because at the end of the day, golf is trending in the direction of longer courses and distance and all that stuff. But eventually they're going to have to pull back because it's just not, you know, the vast majority of the field is not going to be powerless, you know, not going to be trying to hit it 400 yards like Bryson. The vast majority of golfers aren't trying to do that. You know, that's an isolated incident. And yes, distance, it helps. We talk about it a lot, but it's not the end-all be-all, nor should it be. And, and Colin Morikawa is, is proof that it's not. But I just, no, no, you're right. Uh, but I think the thing is, and you're right, golf is, all the stuff you said is true and golf is hard. But I just think that, you know, like you said, it, the key is it helps. And I just think the key is distance does not make you, but the reality is it gives you more margin for error you can be, it gives you a big advantage. So you can play a little worse with your irons and still be, you know, uh, in contention. And so the point is that 
if Morikawa ever loses what he's got a little bit, he's going to be in trouble because he's, I looked up earlier, he's 125th in strokes in the driving distance. And he, you know, he hits it pretty accurately. But it's just, you've got to really excel at other things. And also the reality is like, I'll just say this again, he's not, he's a very, you know, I, he's not bad at anything, but he's not really known for his putting at all. It's a weakness. And he's not really particularly known for goodness around the greens. It's just his iron play. So he has one like key facet that elevates like, all of his game. And because of that, his margin for small. And so inevitably, when he when he has weeks where he doesn't hit it well, he's not going to be able to contend. Unlike some of the other guys, where with their B stuff, they can still kind of be in there. You know what I mean? Mm, I I know what you mean, but I don't know if I necessarily agree with it. Just because if if, I'm just saying, if you like, and now you could also flip it the other way, but the reality is that good ball strikers can always give themselves good looks. And Morikawa is one of the best uh, ball strikers because of his iron play. But I'm just saying that if he ever falls off with that, like, he could be in trouble. Like Right, but that's that's not something you just kind of, you know... It happened it, to Jordan Spieth, though. Jordan Spieth was one of the best iron players in the game, and he just lost his swing. He literally... He lost well, what, what, happened, what happened to Spieth is a combination of things. Um, namely, yeah. namely, it's a demon at uh, Augusta that he uh, still hasn't been able to get rid of. And I, I gotta say, that has more of an effect on you than than I think a lot of people are giving credit for. Partially that, it's a good point. Be- because because it, I hate to keep coming back to this because I don't want to talk about soccer, but it's like it's like people talk about Liverpool this season. It's like oh, there's something there's something insane going on at the club. You know, they had a lot of injuries, yes, but like there's something insane. I was like, no. No, no, no. Time, stop, stop talking. Stop talking. Stop talking. Liverpool have played one game since October with a spine that they actually want, which is Fabinho at defensive midfielder at the number six. Guess what happened in that game? They played incredibly well. Yeah. They played very, very well in that game. Yes, Salah missed chances. Mane missed chances. They missed chances. They're low on confidence. It's because before that, they hadn't been playing with a spine, which means that the confidence is a lot lower because every chance means so much more because you're probably going to concede to the other end because you don't have a good spine and it's just like it's it's like it, it drives me insane that people are not talking about that as much as they should be it's like it's literally injuries injuries yeah everyone is hurt hmm? like right after okay project restart right after they were confirmed champions when uh chelsea beat city yeah they didn't play very well whatever they just they they won the title games don't they don't matter Okay, it's the start of the season where they were playing okay, playing decently. I mean, yes, you could tell there was kind of like, you know, short preseason, just won the title. Okay, there's there's a little bit of a, you know, like a psychological thing to get over. Fine, they get over it. And then they go to the Merseyside Derby and Jordan Pickford decides to be the, everyone's best friend now and destroy Van Dyke's ACL. And then Gomez has a knee injury. Matip has an ankle injury. And Fabinho's in and out of the, the treatment room. And all of a sudden, you're talking about one of the just worst injury crises of all time. I mean, Ben Davis hasn't even played for the club because he's been hurt and he hasn't passed fit or hasn't um, made a good enough impression on Klopp. Kabak has been hurt as well. 
I mean, it's 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 laughable almost how many injuries Liverpool have had this season, and everyone's like, "Oh, there's some, there's got to be something going on beyond injuries." I'm like, Sh- "No, shut up, please shut up." Um, <laughs> but all this all this is to say that Jordan Spieth in 2016, the reason he fell off the way he did is because of confidence. It's 100% confidence. When you are not playing with any sort of confidence whatsoever in golf, it is an infectious disease. It is not good. Yeah. You can spiral very, very quickly because if, say you wake up one day and you don't know, you, you get on the tee, you don't know where the ball's going. You know how likely you are to shoot under par? Very, it's very, very unlikely. Even if you're a professional at the highest level. Golf is just one of those weird sports where it looks so simple. You're just hitting a ball with yeah. a lofted piece of metal. But it's really, really hard because it's almost all mental. Yeah, no, you're right. Golf, competitive golf is played in the space between your ears. And yeah. that's it. So to me, it, Spieth and his struggles boiled down to 16, or sorry, um, 12 at Augusta in 2016. That's what it boils down to. And yes, it's been that long since he's kind of been at, at the highest level, but that's what it can do to you. I mean, legitimately, that's what it can do. Yeah. No, I think, I think the thing is, right, it's just like, look, these guys are smart, right? They know any flaws in their swing, but they are it's just about mental, right? I mean, we're so good for so long. It is, like you said, mostly, I think, mental, right? They, they, it's not like they probably, and, you know, they have swing instructors, so it's not like they're like, oh, well, I'm, I just, I, I figured out this tweak that I was doing wrong, right? It's, when you go for a struggle for that long a period of time, you know, it's more, I agree, it's, it's much more mental. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating that that doesn't get talked about as much. And it's just like, yeah. the brain is such an incredibly powerful thing and it could be our biggest detriment a lot totally. of times. And so it's just, just an acceptance of that really would, would be fine. Absolutely. Um, actually interesting because I'll talk to you about it, but I, I'll there, this is partly related to the future podcast idea that I had. I'll tell interesting. You interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly a take uh, that gets away from baseball, but we've got a lot of really good stuff uh, to to think about until uh, baseball kicks off in earnest on April 1st. Uh, next week, we'll talk American League, so be on the lookout for that, dropping 7 a.m. Pacific time on uh, Friday the 19th, um, if all goes to plan. Uh, Willie, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, no. No, I got nothing. Yeah, we talked a lot of baseball, and we got even more baseball to talk next week. So yeah. if if stickball is your thing, this is the podcast for you. This is hot takes only. This has been episode thirty five. If you can believe it, uh, be sure to drop a follow on uh, on Twitter if you are on Twitter for uh, for updates and occasionally clips from the show. Uh, you can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and on the website anchor.fm slash hot takes only. Uh, next week, American League part two of our baseball preview. Uh, I gotta say, next week is kind of—I don't know what to expect next week. Like, I kind of—I kind of knew we were gonna talk about the Dodgers and the Padres, um, and a little bit of the Braves a lot this podcast. Uh, next week, I have no idea how it's gonna go. I mean, you and I are gonna talk about it, I'm sure, during the week, but 
dude, I have no idea what the American League is going to be like this year. Yeah. No, I, I, it's going to be wide open. Look, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you right now, Yankees fans better be really disappointed if they did not win. <laughs> Oof. They are like clear. They should be clear cut favorites. Yikes. The hard hits against the Yankees. They just don't stop, do they, Willie? No. No. Nope. No, they don't. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been episode 35 of Hot Takes Only. He's Willie. I'm Owen, and we'll see you next time.